following podcast is presented by Secret Room Multimedia. in the Fairpoint. I'm Craig Lewis. And I'm Nathan Kapiser. And today we have a guest. Yeah, it's been a little while. What was the last one we did? Blurry Photos. Blurry Photos, Bat Boy. Today we have the incredibly funny... Don't oversell it. I'm doing <laughs> Moderately no, funny. Okay, local funny man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stand-up comedian Dan McCourt, thank you so much for joining us. How's it going, dude? Things are good, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, things are going pretty well. We are... Are we actually... We're in Syracuse right now, my hometown. Uh, we are? Are yes. we actually in Eastwood, if you don't mind me asking? We're like two blocks away. Almost in Eastwood. Okay. Almost. Yeah, things have been going well. Um, picking up, trying to get more work uh, as much as possible. Well, I see you got 50,000 uh, Facebook likes. Yeah, I do, but... Uh, does it I mean, exactly it, equal paychecks? No, it doesn't at <laughs> It should, all. though. It really should. It's kind of like the people on, you know, that's on the professional page, but the people who have, like, 5,000 friends on the regular page, like, six of them you actually talk to. So there's, right, like, right. 50,000 people there, but, you know, of those people, like, 10 of them come to my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you've got this one special that's been filmed that, if I'm... Correct. I think you're, it's, it's supposed to be coming up on Netflix or something. Yeah, it'll be uh, the premiere special. We're in the submission phase uh, right now for Netflix. Um, basically, uh, we filmed it two years ago, so it's taken a long time to go through the protocol to get it uh, to the submission phase. So the whole thing has been like a big learning process for me. Um, I was kind of overzealous from the beginning. The onset was like, oh, on a film and Netflix special. And then we filmed it and it was done. And then I had to do a lot of research as to what the protocol is to get it on there. So you filmed it specifically with the goal of getting it on Netflix. Yeah, we, I had aspirations for that and uh, zero contacts. Okay. I think it's Netflix. funny how things have changed from, I have aspirations. I want to be on Comedy Central Presents. No, no, no. I, I'm going for Netflix. Uh, honestly, yeah. my whole life, too, is can pretty much be summed up with aspirations but zero context. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess one could say you have to have a big ego uh, to aspire to those type of things. But it, it's more... Um, I don't know. If you aspire to larger things, it, it demands more of yourself. So when I wanted to film the special, I ended up... I was like, uh, the reason I ended up going with Netflix was because Comedy Central does half-hour specials. Right. And I wanted to build a body of work that was uh, substantial. Like, I didn't want to film anything that was kind of disposable. So I had a couple hours of material, so I wanted to put out, like, a, a full-length special. That's crazy, though, that you just, like, 
I, I would I would freeze so hard up there. <laughs> just like, yeah, well, yeah, it took uh, it took a long time to build. Um, oddly enough, um, uh, actually, the weird thing about it was um, we filmed at about my eight year mark, and for the special Audible Toxicology, I would say. 95% of the material that went into the special was written in the year leading up to it. So like all the stuff that I wrote in my first six years of comedy got thrown into the trash. And uh, I just become a better writer. So I was writing more. I think my ambitions were bigger than I was capable of handling. But I think uh, I met to some degree what I wanted to get out of it. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with it, you know. We both were privileged enough to see this special, Audible Toxicology. It's not out yet, but keep your eyes open for it. Hopefully, it'll be on Netflix soon. Yeah, we got an yeah. in with the guy that created it, so. It's, <laughs> you know the guy. <laughs> yeah. Riotously funny, it really is, and uncomfortably dark. So if you're watching it, you'll, you're definitely going to laugh, and if you start to feel horrified or uncomfortable, don't worry. It just means that you're still human. Certainly not <laughs> for the easily offended but it, it is funny, and I love the type of humor that makes you look at the like the dark things and be like, it's not like I truly hate retarded people. It's just some things about them are funny. <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, I guess after doing stand-up for a long enough period of time, I had figured out what works for my voice and my appearance on stage, and... I was a clean comedian for like the first three or four years I was doing it and having some moderate success. But I noticed when I kind of went to bluer topics, I was getting more of a reaction out of people from those topics and the cleaner stuff I was doing. Yeah. I don't know. I guess the reason I, the reason I went that way is like I'm not personally offended by anything in general. Even if it's like directed at me like, hey, you're fucking ugly. Um, <laughs> I'm like, all right, well... <laughs> I'll, I'll have to reassess my grooming standards <laughs> right. for you. Well, that's but, generally how we treat our guests, so you should feel privileged. We haven't called them fucking ugly once. Not once yet. Not once, yeah. But they can't <laughs> see me on radio, so yeah, uh, we'll have to take your word for it. My mom says I'm handsome, so... Uh, so does mine, yeah. And I'm that's the, totally unbiased. I'm, I'm the most <laughs> handsome boy my mom knows. <laughs> that's odd. What a coincidence. We have that in common. Yeah, I guess our moms are like the same. Yeah. Just like the same person, but not. Just no, don't I, introduce each other right, to, right. Your, to your respectful <laughs> mothers. I don't know what it is, though. In talking about like uh, darker comedy in general, uh, I'd say we're of the same generation. I'm 32. Um, 30. 30. I'll be 30 in about a month. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I don't seem to find that our generation is easily offended. I think we're desensitized. Not to put too fine a point on it but i feel like when i was watching audible toxicology a lot of the jokes were really at first they just seemed like oh my god this is just like a shocking like horrible joke and as it builds it almost seems like it's which all jokes should builds towards something that you're not expecting and is actually shining that, yeah. a light on something that it's like oh he wasn't just saying like oh right saying or anything once you get to the end of it you're like oh wow and now i'm thinking about the way i think or something well, you know it takes a certain amount of tact to pull off really offensive humor and not come off like just a prick you know yeah yeah no so, i know like, what if, you mean so <laughs> he, says, does Clay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't tell those kinds of jokes i don't tell him because i think i would end up just hurting too many feelings and oh, i tell all sorts I, of fucked up jokes like <laughs> 
I could, but it de- I, depending on who I'm telling it to, I want to know my audience before I make a dark joke, just in case they might take it the wrong way. I'm not that tactful. So, oh, Craig, I know what you mean. <laughs> Craig, we have a recurring character that rapes children. Yeah, that's, but he's a guy. I didn't know you had that. <laughs> we did. He's a god named Zeus. Well, no, it's good to, uh, for you to say that about like what I put into it and the amount of like thought that actually went into Audible Toxicology. Um, if you broke it down, and I haven't told those jokes in years, but I, I still know them in the back of my head. At some point, I can defend each one of those jokes for merit other than being offensive. There are comedians yeah. who get laughs off of being offensive, but... Um, I mean, of the stuff that went into Audible Toxicology, there's like a whole hour that didn't go in because it was just offensive for the sake of being offensive. Whereas the stuff that went in, at least I felt like I was getting to uh, like more of an insight. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, probably the most cringeworthy joke in the special, no spoilies. Uh, uh, would, I'm waiting to hear this would one. Be, yeah. For me, at least, was probably the baseball one. If that, oh, the, <laughs> baseball about. that abortion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was trying not to spoil your joke. But when you do get oh, to yeah. the end of it, it, it does at least have a little bit more of a like, okay, so this wasn't just a, a joke point. about... He made yeah. a point, and I was like... There is a point that, yeah, the, you're right, that probably is the most offensive thing. Although in my new act, I have something way more offensive oh, I can't that wait. I like better. I, uh, I wish <laughs> I could tell. I'll put it out as soon as I can get it out there. Uh, but um, it, it, it's a personal experience. But like, um, I would say... Um, I don't know if that's supposed to be funny. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll give you the basic structure of the, the joke. Uh, when I was a kid... Like, I I went through some deviant things that uh, had happened to me, and I used that. Since, as a kid, you're innocent, you know, you're three or four. I mean, you're pretty much innocent no matter what you do. You don't know what's right and wrong. So I use that as the platform by which to say more offensive things. Yeah, (laughs) that's the best way. So it's more funny. It's like that's coming from a kid, not from a 32-year-old grown man, but... Yeah, it justifies it. So, like, you don't realize it to the end. Like, the bit is offensive the whole way through. And then at the end of it, there's a justification in that it's uh, in that it happened to me when I was a kid. So, uh, I'm kind of uh, it's kind of like a get out of jail free card, I think. Right. It's layered humor and it's, it's smart humor, if you will. So, I always love when like people make the smart jokes that you might not get if you're only listening for face value. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, it's just offensive. No, but then he came back and there was a reason for it and he made another joke out of it. So, yeah. And I guess with regard to being offensive, two things about audible toxicology. One is, uh, a big disagreement we had, uh, between Randy, uh, Randy Tallow from know the feeling productions. And I, when he edited the film, the first take, there's a joke in it where uh, basically the setup is um, there was a kid, Nicholas, who was born without a brain. So the local news did an editorial on him saying that Nicholas turned two. But the editorial didn't address the question, question I was wondering, which is why is he not in a landfill? Now, that's <laughs> the, the setup for the joke. 
Which is Here's, your first clue while yeah. watching the special that this is not your ordinary Going to get dark. special. Yeah, <laughs> he starts off with brainless babies. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, when I was writing that bit, uh, why is he not in a landfill? I never thought of that as the punchline, and the bit goes on for like four more minutes about this kid. All this stuff that comes after it is like the breadth of work that I'm trying to promote, which is more thoughtful. I mean, as thoughtful as you can get (laughs) while disparaging a helpless two-year-old brainless kid. Uh, (laughs) But it's pretty insensitive. But um, the argument we had was uh, when he put the edit in, there was a huge delay of like really uncomfortable laughter in the room for like 10 seconds after I said, why is he not in a landfill? And the argument was like, can you just cut that delay out? Because I don't want people... It's right at the beginning of the special. I don't want people to watch that and think that's the joke. Mm-hmm. When it's real, this setup. You know, it's kind of deceptive. Because it sounds like a joke. But really, all the, the good, rich material comes after that. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, regard to... Uh, I discussed 9-11 uh, for a couple of reasons. One is... Uh, uh, I guess you could call me a conspiracy theorist. See, I I know Randy, and he told me that you were a conspiracy theorist. So I was ready for it. I didn't tell you. <laughs> no heads up. So, yeah. so when I was watching Left the special, the I was like, just expecting You it. expected yeah. it. You're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Boom. It was also one of those topics that is conspicuously absent in the field of stand-up comedy. There's... Maybe one comedian who's mentioned 9-11. Well, I like what you said, too, because, um, I mean, 9-11 conspiracy theorists are a dime a dozen. And yeah. a lot of them are just hacks that are full of shit. I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, paraphrasing what you said into what I'm saying now. But, like, just because of that, why is it now taboo to ask rational questions about 9-11? About 9-11. Yeah, there was a couple really good points I wanted to make about the topic itself. And my big moral issue was if I tackle 9-11 as a topic, I feel that artistically it's moving in the right direction. I'm tackling like harder topics instead of like, you know, women are like this and men (laughs) are like this. Airline peanuts. Blowjob jokes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) all the, the common jokes. So like it hasn't been tackled before. So it was one of the harder topics for me to get around. On the other hand, I felt bad because I aligned myself with uh, a lot of the rational 9-11 conspiracy theorists, and I didn't want to dilute their movement by uh, aligning myself with it because primarily I'm a comedian, not somebody who is uh, promoting you know, further investigation on 9-11. <laughs> so it was like a, like a, a pro and con thing uh, for me. But the odd thing about the 9-11 material was uh, for me to get that like eight minutes of material or whatever it was, I actually wrote 50 minutes of 9-11 jokes. I did it once. (laughs) I headlined a whole show. I would like to hear that recording. (laughs) I'm a recording of it. I really enjoyed that part of the special too because, I mean, I think one thing that I've been sorely missing in contemporary stand-up comedy is the George Bush jokes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I try so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, bless his soul. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Poor little guy. He's trying so hard. And uh, yeah, no, there's always room for that. Um, (laughs) 
yeah, so to get like eight minutes of non eleven material, the the whole concept, like the uh, the premise on which I work, is that I overwrite material. So if I'm going to talk about religion, I'll write two hours worth of material on religion and then cherry pick the best like half hour. So for me to get like eight minutes of non eleven material, I wrote almost an hour of it and I did it one time. I uh, It was like uh, in uptight crowd and I got on stage and I was like, all right, all right, let's all take it. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. 9-11. And then I just, <laughs> just fucking talked about it. For an hour. That was the whole set. The audience paid for a whole set of 9 11 jokes. That is the ultimate joke. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it actually it went over pretty well. I was kind of surprised. The 9 11 conspiracy theorists were uh, pretty vocal. They were like, it's true. Do so, you have a favorite conspiracy theory? Uh, well, the one that got me further into it was. Uh, uh, the talk about Building 7, um, which a lot of people don't know. I didn't know this until I started doing 9-11 material. Uh, in New York City on 9-11, most people believe that two skyscrapers fell when there were three. There was a third 57-story building that fell that was never hit by a plane called Building 7. The theory is that it was a controlled demolition. They rigged the building to implode on itself. And I would say that's that's kind of the smoking gun, I think, for most of the conspiracy theorists. Uh, by the way, like, uh, um, I guess in terms of political correctness, they, uh, they prefer to be called truthers, not yes. a lot of truthers. <laughs> yes. But, Sorry, uh, I apologize to all the truthers out there for calling them conspiracy oh, I theorists. Oh, I, I can talk shit about them. I'm an independent person. I believe what they have to say, but fuck them, you know, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, th- yeah, it was the Building 7 thing. It, the one thing that really got me into it, I don't know if you've seen it, was the movie Zeitgeist. I, yes, I've seen Zeitgeist. I haven't seen Loose Change. I have yeah, not Loose Change is the other one, yeah. So, uh, the movie that changed everything for me was this movie called Zeitgeist. I saw it when I was living in Portland, Oregon. I think they call it Oregon there. It's a, a weird town. I don't know. Have either of you been to Portland? No, I have a friend who lived there for a while. I've been about as far west as Cleveland. Oh, all right. So Very sad been... life. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't leave the house. I'm, uh, I'm an indoor cat. Um, I, uh, I was out in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we, were, we were at a house party, and it died down. Uh, I wouldn't call it a house party. Like a small social gathering. And it was like four in the morning and we're in the middle of like really intense conversation. And the owner of the house was like, no, we got to watch this movie. And everybody's like, but we're talking like we're having a good time. (laughs) And he forced us to watch this movie and nobody wanted to watch it. And by the end of it, I couldn't sleep for like it it was like eight in the morning and I was like up for the next two days. Does it like hit you like a Serbian film does? What do you mean, like the uh, like an ISIS beheading that's on on? That's an actual movie, a Serbian film. It's, oh, all right. Read the Wikipedia article. It's like don't watch the, the movie. Yeah, I, I won't watch it. But it's it's like the dramatic version, I guess, of your stand up special. <laughs> all right, it's just so that disturbing on a visceral. It's like, probably less offensive too. <laughs> The movie, the movie really changed everything for me because um, 
Well, I, uh, a brief overview. The movie's in three parts. The first part is about uh, religion and some of the parallels between modern Christianity and uh, ecclesiastical texts that came before it. And, and like ancient Egyptian mythology and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah as yeah. well as uh, its uh, uh, adherence to astrological phenomenons. I, yeah, I, um, yeah, I told you earlier I don't watch movies, and that's true. But I do watch a lot of documentaries. Um, for this one, it, like the beginning is kind of benign. It's easy to turn off. It's just informative. Then, it, so that's the first third. The second third is about nine eleven, and it's the typical conspiracy theory about nine eleven. Uh, and the controlled demolition theory and uh, that. And then the third part is about global banking and world conspiracy, which I don't align myself with particularly. I don't I don't know how anybody would have evidence of that. The Federal Reserve has no audits. I mean, so uh, any claim you have on uh, global banking is theory like there's no way to pragmatically deconstruct it you can't prove it yeah it may very well be happening but i don't uh i need more evidence to think but um the middle third is what got me uh it really changed everything for me because like up until that moment like from that day forward i got hooked on uh learning more about 9-11. So I watched other films like Loose Change and watched other documentaries. And it's hit or miss. There's a couple of crazy people out there like, yeah, my f- friend Bud hijacked one of them. And you're like, dude, all right, don't watch this. You got to take it with a grain of salt. But there's some good stuff out there. And it, it just changed everything for me because up until that point, I had implicitly assumed the government was... Not good or bad, just uh, like a body that exists that I have nothing to do with. I don't vote. I don't give a shit what they do. But then, I mean, if you go further into research, you you could say, well, uh, you know, the CIA would, like if you said this in 1980, the CIA wouldn't be exploiting cocaine coming out of Colombia to support the Iran-Contras and their arms race basically and then the iran contra scandal came out and it was very clear that the cia was perpetuating the cocaine problem that happened so that became front page news but it was conspiracy theory so in the same vein our government does fucked up shit it's just what can we attest to and I happen to fall in line with the fact that I think 9-11 was perpetuated by uh, factions within our government. The reason there's so many conspiracy theories is because conspiracies do happen quite regularly throughout human history. Yeah. And it would be, honestly, like even if we didn't have evidence of that, it would just be asinine just from a common sense perspective to look at the way the world is structured and not think that there are conspiracies going on, if not frequently from time to time. It would be against the norm if conspiracies didn't happen. Um yeah, exactly. I mean, from the dawn of government, people in power, you know, absolute power, yada, yada, 
But people in power have always manipulated and coerced people into believing certain things. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, social theory or uh, if you want to get into, like, semantics on any level, um, there's evidence for manipulation through propaganda, you know, uh, as simple as uh, let's invade Iraq because they have weapons of mass destruction and everybody's in the hype of post-9-11 uh, misery. So they're like, yeah, we'll invade Iraq. And then that was un- unsubstantiated. Get and, yeah, yeah, everybody... Like, even I was at the time. That's the thing. I was like, all right, yeah, let's fuck them up. And the average person has... Well, yeah, Iraq. They're the ones who hit us with the planes, right? No! no. Like, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they entirely were. different fucking faction of people. Like, war doesn't bother me as long as I'm not enlisted. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, as long as my... Friends as long going. as my neighborhood's not getting bombed, I'm not being forced to fight. You gotta yeah. do what you want, okay? Like, if I have family, I don't and know. It doesn't get in the way of my supply of pistachio nuts. No, it doesn't impact you know? me at all. I mean, it takes, like, the commercial breaks are a little longer because I'm watching, you know, everybody loves... All right, I don't watch that. I was, <laughs> Nobody watches <laughs> Nobody that. Nobody does. <laughs> I'm watching... Uh, it calls you out on it. Don't worry if you continue. <laughs> I'm watching Forensic Files and right at the (laughs) end of Forensic Files. No, I don't like Friends. Uh, I do like sitcoms, just not Friends. Uh, I'll be. uh, Well, you said you like sitcoms. Yeah, Uh, I'll be at the end of the commercial break, and it'll be an extra like ten seconds. Whereas, like you know, uh, uh, Lieutenant James Bedford was gunned down, and, and I'm like, all right, get back to the fucking program. So. The kid's dead. I don't know him. He's from the South, I'm sure. Nobody <laughs> nobody in my neighborhood went to war. I don't know anybody who enlisted. My firm belief is like, I, I tried to put it into my stand-up, is that um, we need to stop supporting the troops. And I know, I know that's something... I know that's something that it, it takes a while to defend, but... <laughs> Uh, I'll say it. Stop fucking supporting the troops and go as far as possible to ensure that all your friends and everybody you know stays away from enlisting in the army. Because when they do, some of them die and that fucking sucks. And the fact is that, like, uh, it's on both sides. I don't think people in the Middle East should be enlisting. I don't think anybody should be enlisting. And every time you put that support your troops, there's like an uh, like an 18 year and one month old kid who just uh, is like uh, going to his orientation on campus. And there's some there's a recruitment table on the campus like, hey, have you ever thought about being a big man? And you're like, that kid's naive. And then he's going and he's becoming limbless. All those guys are jackasses. Yeah, (laughs) because everybody has to support your fucking troops bumper sticker on. No, it's not cool to support that. That because you're killing our citizens by th- making people believe that it's okay to be uh, uh, in the army. It's yeah, it not. is. It is treated like a black and white issue, and it's not a black and white issue. I, I do mean, have a counter argument, though, to your point. If if all the worlds just got rid of all of their armies and everything, and everybody was all nice and happy and mellow, that's when the aliens attack. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and there and, and what, is, we have no more it's guns. Not necessarily about everybody quitting the army and every world government just getting rid of the idea of having an armed forces or weapons or anything. Well, it's can, about 
being your you are encouraging ideas or uh, contributing to rather ideas and an environment and atmosphere that you're viewing as progressive, which is what human evolution is, which is what this human history has been. Like, and then the aliens attack. It, yeah, then the aliens attack. But wouldn't it be good to have like a united front though if the aliens attack? Like we have, you know, for one, the Chinese. Like if we were with it, that's a billion motherfuckers. <laughs> you know how much shit they can build? Those people live on rice. It's cheap. <laughs> like if we had one They're global force. <laughs> I, I guess the thing is if extraterrestrials do come down, we're fucked. Because uh, even with our weapons and our, our armies, we, we can't fight that kind of firepower. That they no, they have the capacity for intergalactic travel. They're like, hey, we came <laughs> from way further than you've ever gone. Shoot it! Yeah. Shoot it now! Get down! <laughs> yeah. I'm out of bullets. It's not going to work, It's talking man. to me! <laughs> No, I, I guess the point I wanted to make is that, like, uh, uh, if I'm fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to coerce and manipulate some nice young lady into bearing one of my children, um, I am going to ensure that my child uh, it deplores and fucking hates the military. I don't want him to have any notion of being like, well, maybe I'll learn. No, learn it somewhere else. You're not going there. I did always find it funny when, uh, if you are saying anything negative about the military, people bringing up stuff like, like, oh, well, they pay for your college and this. I'm like, yeah, you're. They totally pay for your college just out of the goodwill of their hearts. It's not because it's yeah. hard to get people to sign up to get killed. That has nothing to do with it. It's not because. What good is college for you if you're six feet deep? Yeah, or, or that degree yeah. means nothing. I mean, it means nothing to begin with, but yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll take like all right. Say hypothetically, we made a parallel, a uh, uh, theoretical parallel between. Uh, uh, this is gonna get dark. Martin Luther King and <laughs> Malcolm X. This is gonna get dark. Was yeah. that a race joke? <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, He's like, I didn't even see it like that. So yeah, yeah. kind of. Uh, <laughs> No, in in the movement uh, towards social progress, you have Martin Luther King and the Black Panthers, the militant Black Panthers. How I equated that to support the troops, I'd be more of the militant. Uh, I would take more of a militant stance. Like when troops come home, fucking make fun of them. Tell, like just fucking abuse them verbally. He's the reason like, Rambo happened. But see, yeah, <laughs> no, because like if, if it becomes popular to hate the troops, then people will stop enlisting. And that is a good thing. I, uh, I get what you're saying because I have a stance of mock what you think is stupid and don't like because especially if it's something people other people think is cool because the more you mock it and set a precedence for like, ah, it's cool to mock this, you might, you might contribute to that environment of like, nope, now we think it's stupid to be a gangster or whatever. But uh, that, yeah. that kind of illustrates how it's not really black and white even if you say like, okay, well, if we're talking about like Martin Luther King and the Black Panthers as sort of like the yin and yang of like uh, how to approach social reform and you're saying you would be more militant Against yeah, the, I'm aggressive. You're also too. saying you would be more militant against the idea of a military, which yeah. which is kind of the root Ironic. of why we have a military. And it, yeah, it's a complex, no. I mean, I guess yeah. derisive or uh, abusive. 
not militant in in any sort of aggressive stance. No, I know. Uh, aside from just deriding and belittling the notion. I'll put it this way. Maybe, actually, I would like your input on this. Um, oh, boy. Craig. Get ready. No, this is, is it's a guy thing. We're we're in the same demographic, same age, whatever. Uh, there was well, a, you two are. I can't grow a fucking beard. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's an issue. It's probably better that way. I wouldn't. I mean, the scraggly thing works. That's good. Oh, is that why your mom didn't tell you? you were the mom? <laughs> she was. That's it. I knew it. She would have if he could grow more than a goatee. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, all right. As a guy, I don't. I, I've never asked this question before, and I'm wondering. Like at some point in your youth, some somewhere between not age 10 but somewhere between the age of 16 and 25 did you ever consider enlisting no nope never fuck, once fuck that high school football was hard enough so you guys i don't like getting being told uh what to do i have a problem with that so i see you guys are uh you developed quicker than i did uh <laughs> Maybe I've, I'm just I've stupid. I'm, I'm like, probably just an ignorant person. I No, there are times, like, I think as a guy, there are certain things that uh, you're socially ingratiated into. Like, one is, at some point in your life, you want to get in a fight and knock somebody out. Just once. Just to That's feel. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point, you consider, like, maybe enlisting, maybe there's something to be said about it. Maybe the thing is... If I wasn't surrounded by intelligent, educated people, I feel really blessed that my family's overeducated, they're intelligent, and my mom was like, you're not enlisting, that's fucking ridiculous, that's the stupidest thing. Like, if I if I was surrounded by a negligent family, and I had the enlisting thing, and I walked by the little table, and they're like, hey, you want to be a man and get college paid for, and then... I, I end up with, like, no limbs and I can't wipe my ass. <laughs> I feel bad for those people. It's not that they're stupid. Well, that's it's what just, the landfill's for. Yeah, <laughs> for missing limbs. That's Jesus, what they for do. Better yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I don't even know if they fly them home anymore. I mean, it depends on how, how big the chunks are. I mean... <laughs> Like a fingertip, you could probably just leave that. My uncle actually had his fucking leg blown off in Vietnam. He has one leg. And every fucking Thanksgiving, somebody has to make the same joke. They carve the turkey, and they're like, what do you guys want? Uncle Nick, you want a leg? And everybody laughs. And... And, and yeah. your uncle dies a little on the inside. And he is, yeah. He's <laughs> Until the one year that, yeah. he, that he conveniently has a flashback during Thanksgiving he, Yeah, he lost one leg and most of his dignity at that <laughs> fucking table. But um, the thing is, uh, I don't know. Like, I never spoke to him about it, but um, I always, like, admired him. He, he has a great sense of humor. He's sharp. He's quick. And if that was my family and he was like, yeah, being a Marine, you know, I learned discipline or something. If, if somebody had told that to me, like you get those things. Uh, I've been reading a lot lately. Like it's predetermined, like religious uh, affinity and, and political stances totally geographically determined. Like if you live in India, you're Hindu. Like there are no fucking, uh, what's the popular uh, the, the one that I don't There's know no Scientologists. I maybe. think it's ninety nine point 
eight percent uh, is the same religion. They're uh, L. Ron Hubbard. There's none of that shit <laughs> yeah. in India. They're all about worshiping cows and wearing sandals. Whatever they do, I haven't been there. The last thing I wanted to say was like, uh, like whether or not you're gonna go to war and get murdered is determined by the people you're surrounded by. And the only reason I'm not dead is because I was surrounded by healthy, educated people. And less fortunate people are going off to war and dying. So I think us as a community needs to stop putting the bumper stickers support your troops and start just fucking making fun of them. (laughs) Belittle them. Just be like, yeah, support the troops. And be like, fuck the troops. I hope you die on the way home. You know, because that's an aggressive stance that will turn the tide. So, like, you're like the type of guy, you know, uh, you start making fun of somebody and then they say, hey, have some respect. And you go, no, you lost your respect when you signed those papers. Yeah. Uh, Although I do feel bad for the people (laughs) because I could have been one. I mean, it's almost hypocritical. But I, um, I just really don't like getting yelled at, and I knew that would be a big part of it. <laughs> that was really what it was. Like, I don't like getting yelled at. I have a very low pain tolerance. That's funny. It wasn't that. <laughs> I don't that, like waking up early. I don't like waking up early. I really don't. Holy I'm not a super shit. clean, neat, tidy guy. I just knew it wasn't my so fit. <laughs> death and dismemberment was like number four. You were like, <laughs> you were like, I don't like getting yelled at. I don't like. Three square meals a day. I'm a snacker. Well, I mean, dining and sucks. I don't dining like dining. They're like way down on the list. You're like, I don't like the linen they have. And <laughs> I don't want to die. That's seven. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not really a gun person either. They're loud. I like my hearing. Yeah, no, me either. Actually, I'll quote on, on that uh, random note of like death being far down on your list. <laughs> like, you would rather die than wake up early. <laughs> Well, I'm, I think I've grown up, but when I was 16, I that was my main, that was my main thing. Like, whew, man, school sucks. Like, I'd rather be dead than continue to get up at six o'clock to make the bus. Death before discomfort. Actually, I wanted to, uh, I, I want to quote a classic joke by Jerry Seinfeld on the topic of uh, death being like way down on your list. Jerry Seinfeld wrote this joke, a well-written joke. Real craftsman of the art of stand-up. Uh, the joke he wrote was, uh, he's like, uh, on a list of people's fears, number one fear uh, is public speaking. Number two is death. That means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> Pretty good joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, it, all right, it didn't get a lot of laughter here, but uh, <laughs> well, I, mean, I didn't write it. Jerry wrote that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Jerry. Uh, yeah. Uh, Thanks a lot for giving us that. Well, I here. am. I want everybody to know that I'm more afraid of death than public speaking. So. Oh, you are? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, with maybe stand-up, again, not the like case that when I was 16, I might have rather be dead than speaking public. How would but, you feel about doing stand up? Oh no, that's a little too nerve wracking. I was I was actually gonna ask you how you do it, man. How, like, are you just you just good? Like, do you do you like black out the the audience, or do you feed off the audience? I'll tell you something. Like, as much as I'd like to say I don't get nervous because I've been doing it ten years, like it doesn't keep me up at night or anything. But uh, I'd say in the three minutes before I know I'm going on stage, I, like usually I'm on last. So what happens is there's. Uh, headliner over here 
there's like a, uh, yeah, I'm a headliner. I'm 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 a big deal. And uh, can you separate the blue skittles out of there in my bowl of skittles? Actually, and, those were our skittles. We've got somebody working on your bowl of. Sorry. It's all right. Like, yeah. All right. Make with them. And uh, you said the blue. Fuck. Put the yellows back in. I can't. I can't work like this. I'm sorry. I'm out. Uh, no. Uh, Lost him. Fuck. The only reason I I'm booked last is because I'm. A, a Syracuse comedian. Like, if I was in New York City, I would be scrapping, like, five-minute spots, you know, it, it, opening for nobody. Uh, in Syracuse, there's no headliners. So, like, when I get booked, I I, I travel a little bit. I've gone as far as um, Florida, I guess, Orlando. I got flown down. Flown down, that's... Oh, a, big thing. Yeah. I mean, I've never even been on a plane, Want to hear so. the funny thing about that? The only reason I took the show in Florida is so that I could... Say, it, it didn't even pay well. It paid like nothing, and it ate up like a week of my time. The only reason I took it was for the week leading up to it, so I could say, oh, yeah, do you want to come out? We're having a cook. No, I'm flying down to Florida to do a show. That's the only reason I took it. And if um, you stay vague, people will be like, oh, he is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I'm... I'm aspiring to be less of a nobody but uh usually there's like an mc they do 10 minutes and then they bring up a, what's called a feature act the feature does between 20 minutes to half an hour then the mc comes back on and either does a joke or two or brings a headliner uh up and then the headliner does like 45 minutes so um if i'm on last uh as soon as the feature act is saying thank you, I had a good time. The MC's coming back on. I usually have, like, from the feature saying, all right, goodbye, till I come on is, like, three to five minutes. Uh, the three minutes leading up to me taking the, uh, the stage... I get jitters, and all I do is hyperventilate uh, intentionally. And uh, intentionally, usually, yeah, I just breathe a lot, uh, and I kind of catch a buzz from it. And then, uh, what do you breathe? Shaman? <laughs> it's not even that. It's uh, like He's I never junkie, write up on anything. Yeah, I'm just a drug addict <laughs> looking for no, some. That's, there's all sorts of like ancient shaman techniques of like. Is there? Yeah, breathing a certain way that, like, induces, like, trance states and stuff. Yeah, no, I just take, like, first I take a bunch of deep breaths and hold it and stretch off to the side of the stage. And then, uh, it, it, that's, like, three minutes before I hit the stage. And then if I do that for two minutes, usually the minute before I go on, I'm really calm and... Re- not only calm, I'm also energized. So I'm nervous for about two minutes, and then I'm comfortable getting in and going on stage, and the stage fright goes away. But um, I was nervous uh, for a long time. I used to drink a lot before I went on, and then I gave up doing that. And Was uh, it fucking with your act? It was uh, fucking with uh, my, my writing, uh, just because I was going out every night and like hanging out with friends and drinking a lot, like just pounding liquor and beers and driving home. And uh, You were living the life. Yeah, the yeah. high life of uh, DWIs and yeah, incarceration. I was going to say, you don't even have to printing. You don't even have to drive. Somebody's flying you home, so. Yeah. No, I was, uh, I have nothing against alcohol, man. I love this stuff. I just, uh, I quit uh, because I'm better than both of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I quit. All pretentiousness aside. Yeah. 
All right, so, uh, yeah, stage fright was a thing, and it comes back up, but um, usually with the, like, also the anxiety that I get, get, like, three minutes before I go on stage isn't the type of anxiety, like, a normal person would get for public speaking. It's not debilitating. It's just, like, a very mild anxiety, Uh, and... It, it's, uh, it, there's a certain amount of comfort in the fact that, uh, uh, having done it for a long enough time, it's not that it's the experience. It's that I have written enough material that I know that no matter how bad it goes, I could do one of my like better bits and get the crowd on my side. So, uh, it's not like having done it for long enough that I'm more comfortable. It's that I have material that I know that always goes over. So if like it, it, nothing terrifying ever happens, but, uh, if I got up there and froze or something, I could just talk myself into one of the bits I've done, you know, like 500 times and be fine with it. Um, only twice have I gotten stage fright when I was actually on stage and both times, it was because I was on uh, either too much caffeine or uh, too much Adderall. Okay. Yeah. That might do it. Yeah, yeah. I took a bunch of Adderall <laughs> because I was like, I, I did a show. Fortunately, I wasn't headlining. Uh, I was just doing a guest spot on a show. And uh, I was like half asleep uh, like three hours before the show. I was half asleep. And I had a bunch of Adderall. So I took a couple of them. And waited like an hour and a half, and I was still like dead asleep. So I took a bunch more, and then all of them kicked in. You know the amateur drug thing where you're like, oh, oh I took I mushrooms care. five minutes ago, and I'm not seeing shit, so I'm going to eat an ounce. <laughs> and then I did that with <laughs> Adderall. Oh, man. I got up there, and uh, the only thing I know uh, from like old, very old tapes from my first year is that when you're nervous on stage... People usually don't notice, so you notice that you're nervous. But as long as you're speaking, not a, like I, my voice wasn't quivering, I wasn't shaking, so I was going through my act, and I was like hyper, uh, just hyper anxious from the stimulants I was on, and it was I was kind of getting. I wasn't doing well, but I was getting laughs where the punchlines were supposed to be. And then somebody heckled me, and I froze up, and oh. I just left. Oh, man. The heckler won. The oh. heckler, yeah. Oh. Which never happened. So, it right. was the pills. I blame the drugs. And that's why you don't do them before anymore. Did yeah, I, don't. I, I drink caffeine. Maybe everybody no. left thinking that was, like, the most brilliant piece of, like, performance art they'd ever like seen. Like it was Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You didn't respond. You didn't. You didn't criticize him. You didn't come back witty. You didn't go on a racist tirade against Jewish people. You just, you just yeah. silently walked off stage, tail between your legs. Yeah, maybe it was like art- artistic. If you want to give uh, <laughs> unnecessary integrity to it, yeah, that that was my conversation piece. That's called bombing and leaving. Yeah, the guy heckles you, and you just go. Nope, not doing this anymore. I'm done. It was during a bit uh, where I was making fun of Stephen Hawking and somebody was getting upset because I said the word crippled and I froze up, which is what the fuck he is. That he's crippled. Why, how is that? I mean, what? Handicapped? I mean, it's... I mean, after jokes about abortion, did they really think you were going to go easy on the handicapped? 
Well, I, I usually open up pretty benign. Uh, that's that's one thing I would in part about comedy is that um, even if you are offensive, uh, I would start off pretty benign. Unless it's like a drunk bar crowd, then you could do whatever. Right. Like if they're drunk, then just have Adam. They're just like, ah, oh, he says words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know words. Yeah, this guy knows words. Best too. fucking audience ever. Yeah. I can relate. I've spoken. Um, now, drunk uh, crowds, I don't, uh, I guess you're not supposed to say this because you invite it, but um, no, I don't mind hecklers at all. Like, I, I, they're irritating if they do it the whole show, but if, like, somewhere in the middle somebody starts heckling me, it, like, I always, I actually mildly enjoy it because um, the weird thing about the heckler is that they have something to say. They only have one idea. They don't script the whole act. You know, right. they only have one thing to say. And the thing is, when they heckle and you're not talking over them, when they heckle and you just sit there and listen, the audience shuts the fuck up and they're like, what's going on? <laughs> and the heckler gets like really uncomfortable about how conspicuous he is. <laughs> He's like, yo, what's your fucking pro? Never mind, you know. <laughs> so usually I just let them go because if they talk for long enough, they're going to talk themselves into some cul-de-sac and you could just tear them apart. You mind fucked the heckler. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it always seems to work. Let him screw himself. <laughs> I try not to attack them. I usually try to relate on some level. Yeah. But a- after a while, if they, if they keep talking... Um, then I'll start attacking them. And then plan C would just be like, all right, shut the fuck up. I want to do, I want to talk about other things. And uh, then, I thought plan C was the baseball bat. <laughs> that was a baseball bat. I don't carry that with me. That's for uh, un- unplanned pregnancy, which I don't have to worry about because I'm not getting laid as of late. I thought you were going to say you're sterile. I could be, given the <laughs> amount of well. drugs I've taken. You know, I well, wonder. I've seen a lot of people using drugs, and they, they seem to have babies just fine. Yeah, yeah. Drug addicts, alcoholics, blame. A lot of people have babies. Most of them don't take care of the kids, which is negligent. But uh, well, that doesn't bother me because I'm not related to those people. Well, what, what <laughs> I might... Just, I have a general disregard <laughs> for humanity. You don't care about the person themselves, but you know you 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 kind of you kind of pay in your taxes for them to get raised. Sometimes, maybe if if, if oh, the people them, aren't taking care of their kids, it's, it's, they might be getting help for their kids. My level of comedy is totally under the table, and at that, I mean, like they're like, yeah, I know we promised you three hundred, but how about a pitcher of ale? And I'm like, I don't drink. And they're like, well, you're not getting paid. And then I'm like, all right, well, can I get gas money? And they're like, no. And then No, I'm you're like, not getting paid. Yeah. Can I get a pitcher of Sprite? Yeah. Can Thanks. I, what can I get? Like, a, nah, Two I'm not even of in it for sex. Then I usually start aiming for the pharmaceuticals. I'm like, all right, so what kind of pills do you have? <laughs> Like, do you have, like, enough Adderall that can drive me to Florida so I can forget that I did a show here? So, wait, you said you're not in it for the sex. I always kind of assumed that that was, like, the main thing comedians did. 
was just getting oh, laid through, all yeah. the time. Yeah, there are just lots of girls hanging all over. No, Craig, that's podcasters. That's not, not yeah. true. <laughs> I saw a Fact. girl wandering around here. You had one. I don't know how you got her. <laughs> it wasn't because of the podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way. Any sexual interest... I, I've been doing stand-up for 10 years. Any sexual interest that has ever come my way post being in college has only come through stand-up. So, yes, I would say it does Score. occasionally get you laid. But uh, I don't know if uh, you want to delve into this. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, asexual. I don't care about sex. Well, I guess that helps That's if you're not awesome. getting laid. Yeah, if you're not going to write, <laughs> might as well. No, I, I, I don't, I don't have a flattering physique by any means, but I'm pretty manipulative verbally. I could definitely get laid. Um, no, I, I lost my sex drive. I had a normal sex drive for a long time, and then I uh, was diagnosed bipolar, and they put me on this medication for bipolar, and literally, like within the week, it, it took away my sex drive permanently and every guy's like well that fucking sucks it's awesome it's so (laughs) well it's because you're not getting distracted by sex anymore right you can actually work on shit i'm not wasting time just being like so you groom animals and that's nice i like your finger get the fuck out of here man like i don't there's no intellectual integrity coming from that side of the cocktail table like i don't need it I'm not. Uh, I'm not chauvinistic. I like talking to women. I, I also. Just, it's got to be pretty sweet to be able to like split yourself in half to reproduce. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's got to be pretty killer. I wouldn't be opposed to it if I found. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's uh, actually. Yeah, it, I'm in the next stage of evolution. Actually, <laughs> I don't know. We can Advanced. all reach it. Yeah. it it's uh, not unlike enlightenment. It feel. It's fucking liberating. I mean, you guys are guys. You know. The male sex drive is really time-consuming. Is it not? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It, it is pretty distracting <laughs> and time-consuming. I'll put it this way. Um, the last serious fling I had was a couple of years ago. I was seeing this girl that was way out of my league. And the only reason she was interested in me is because... Uh, Your mom told her you were the most handsome boy in the world. And she was like, uh, yeah, and then she met me, and she was like, he's not handsome, he's fucking busted. And my mom's like, yes, but he can explain why that won't be yeah. a problem. And uh, no, it, it was because um, she owned uh, a, a gallery where I headlined a show. It was kind of like a bigger event, and there was cameras and stuff like that, and I was the headliner of the event. So there was kind of, uh, I don't glorify myself. I'm just like, uh, uh, I'm mostly unsuccessful in every endeavor in life. But um, at the time, there were cameras around and there were a lot of people to show. And people are asking me like, hey, how do you do that? And the girl took an interest in me for that reason. Because I'm sure if she saw me at a bar and I was like, hey, uh, can I buy you a drink? She'd be like, get the fuck away from me (laughs) because that's what always happens to me but um she was interested in me and we started seeing each other for a while and um i still had no sex drive but we're hooking up and getting sexual and i was fine with that and it was cool and it still felt good and stuff but 
I could consciously control whether or not I needed that. It wasn't like, I need this. And she started irritating me a couple months into dating. And I was like, you need to stop doing this. She was texting me conversations. I was like, if we're going to text for an hour, just call me so we can speed up this whole process. There's two types of people in the world. The people that want to have an hour-long conversation on the phone or want to stretch it to two hours in texts. Yeah. Me personally, if you're texting... If you're texting, I, I can still do other stuff. Yeah, like, I, hate I have being pauses. On the phone. But I know this isn't the point of the, the story. We just like to derail whole, things here. The so. whole thing was though she was texting things that are requisite, like uh, auditory. She was like, "Well, I kind of like these flowers that are kind of um. Don't text me, kind of um. <laughs> Calm, Cut that out. Yeah, all the kind of sort of. Well, I kind of half was thinking." That needs to be verbalized. I don't. <laughs> text should be 530 103 Ackerman Avenue, be there. That's the, the longest text I want from me. But she <laughs> kept doing it, and I told her about it, and she stopped doing it for a day, and then she kept doing it for like two or three weeks. And uh, let me just remind you this girl was way out of my league. Like, I should have held on to her like fucking. Like, like, like a stack of ca- free cash at like the Gates estate. I, I should have just held on to her. And I, I literally, she did it one more time. I was like, this isn't working. And I just hung up. And she's like, wait, hold on. Was I just broken up? Not by, yeah, but you by can't break guy? up with, yeah. You don't get it. The higher, I'm above you. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I don't have a sex drive. So don't fucking call me anymore she's like well i'm just gonna replace you with somebody better and you're like you probably will good luck (laughs) yeah but do you know how liberating that is like in my former like sex obsessed life i would have just dealt with that shit forever i would still be dating this person and i know it's a trivial thing to break up on texting but the fact is that like it's really liberating not to be uh addicted to your libido when you hear something funny about that too yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That girl that happened, I hadn't spoken to her in two years, sent me a text two, year, <laughs> two years later. Uh, she sent me a text saying, you know, I think about you a lot and I hope things are going well. So I sent a text back uh, overselling myself. I was like, yeah, well, I'm on Netflix and, you know, total, total fucking lie. And I was like, yeah, I'm headlining clubs. I'm broke. I, my apartment is I'm living with my family. And, like, all this shit, I, I, I didn't lie. I, I, I embellished uh, that things were going better. Anyway, we started talking again on and off. It ends kind of poorly. I don't know if I should bring this up, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that you shouldn't have to begin with. No, I don't mind. As long as like, you don't drop her name and then her address. And like, Oh, no. no was, you uh, didn't write it down. It was 302 Ackerman Avenue. <laughs> holy yeah, shit. That's right. Jesus Christ. I missed right, that. I'm yeah, out. No. That's good, yeah. Good. I, she must be single. She's talking to me. And uh, she goes for less attractive guys because she's talking to me 203 ackerman knock on the door give it a shot <laughs> she's like I, don't worry I, I i'm not jehovah's witness i'm just here to fuck possibly <laughs> you know dan said it'd be a good idea <clears throat> well um i have some serious questions that need to get answered that gotta get Absolutely. off my chest for you we'll start off who's your favorite comedian oh okay i'll uh i'll answer that question um who is my favorite favorite comedian 
I'll break it up into subgroups. But uh, my favorite comedian and the one I, I feel that I learned the most from uh, was Doug Stanhope. He has been in Syracuse twice in the past few years. He performed at the Palace Theater. Yeah, it's right down the street. I could honestly say, and you know what? I'll admit to this. I I do radio a lot, and uh, it's always going to come up. Uh, This is probably the last time I'm ever going to mention his name as my favorite or most or biggest influence, because I don't want people to be like, oh, he's just trying to be Doug Stanhope. Because people have, like, comedians come up to me, and they're like, oh, you sound like Stanhope. So I don't want to make the connection but the truth is uh like up until i listened to doug stanhope um our mutual friend randy tallow the guy who produced my special audible toxicology what's up randy what up randy uh he got me into doug stanhope he forced me to watch him i from the moment i started listening to him my stand-up changed completely uh my favorite stand-up special in history is called no refunds by uh, Doug Stanhope, and uh, I think one of my biggest influences was uh, a show called The Acid Bootleg by Doug Stanhope. He took a bunch of acid and did a show. Damn. Yeah, and it's masterful. It's just phenomenal. And the big thing was, up until then, I had been writing really strict, like, set-up punch-style jokes, like, oh, uh, Dr. Conrad Murray got convicted, you know, uh, the doctor that killed Michael Jackson. I feel bad for the guy. Do you know how hard the media is going to come down on a black man who murdered a white woman? Um, <laughs> which is a joke. I it totally left my act. I never said it again. As soon as I listened to Stanhope, Stanhope, the acid bootleg, is him ranting for like an hour and there's not a single joke in there and he crushes like there are no punch lines right he's just making points and he does this weird thing like comedically it's kind of like a dialogue is that you say something and the audience reaction is as important as the monologue you're doing so it's like you say something they react you say something they react there's a pacing to the conversation right uh, Doug Stanhope totally on the acid bootleg dismisses that whole notion. I had never heard anything like that. He's, he's telling jokes and people are laughing riotously and he's just talking through it. Like people are missing half his set because he's still laughing. Yeah, because they're still laughing. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm talking. Like, he, he's just so aggressive with it. It just changed everything about. Well, maybe the acid made him like tunnel, tunnel vision. It could have been even that. like He didn't even like know what was going on. He's just. I don't know. I think his like. I think it's his drunk demeanor. He's notoriously intoxicated on stage, and he has like this aggressive, like talking at you attitude. And uh, yeah, that changed everything. Up until Stanhope, I would like to pride myself on saying I was the biggest fan of Bill Burr before he was famous. I did a show with him in uh, New York City oh, called. No shit. Yeah, called Comedy on uh, Columbus, and he was the headliner. And this is before any any specials came out, and uh, they were like, the headliner's Bill Burr. And I was like, that sounds like Wilbur. And uh, <laughs> in my head, I was like, First this guy's going to fucking suck. Because I was used to them being like, oh, the headlines, uh, Dink Winkleman and the Wacky Juggler. You know, they just put horrible comics on. So I was like, Bill Burr, this guy's going to suck. And he was fucking amazing. 
and I was a huge fan. And subsequently, he became a huge star in the arena of stand-up and went on to play Carnegie Hall, and he's like a big name now. But he was my favorite uh, before that. And then before that, and I would testify as to say not being my favorite, one of my favorites, but I would say the most prolific and accomplished stand-up comedians working is Eddie Izzard. Okay. Yeah, he has uh, so many specials. I don't know how many, like nine or ten. And they're all, they're not like an hour long. They're like an hour and 45 minutes long each. And he does it in multiple languages. Eddie is, oh, no way. Eddie really? Izzard's brilliant. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, I love Eddie Izzard. My, uh, my favorite stand-up comedian is always getting overshadowed by their... They're part of a duo, and they're always getting overshadowed. My favorite comedian is the wacky juggler. Dink Dinkleman just oh, gets all yeah. the fucking glory. Yeah, I know. He's, uh, he's not overrated at all. <laughs> he's, he, can, uh, he can... Comedy act. I can juggle. Yeah. <laughs> he can uh, juggle uh, having a poor career and ex- <laughs> exploiting audience members for unrequited co- ticket costs. He juggles that. I, I, I guess I'll mention uh, a couple others that are underreported. Uh, I love Dove Davidoff, D-O-V Davidoff. He has a couple of specials. He's hilarious, big character, and a guy I talk to occasionally uh, here and there, but I am a fan of his Netflix special. I think it's the funniest thing on Netflix right now is a comedian named Tom Segura. Okay. S-E-G-U-R-A. I've seen that on Netflix. I haven't watched the special, but I've seen it on there. Highly recommend watching it. I should check it out. Funniest thing on Netflix. I think it's the funniest thing on Netflix. No, no, they got a, they got an airplane on Netflix. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah, see, I uh, uh, I'm gonna crucify myself for saying this. I haven't seen Airplane. Uh, oh wow! As a comedian, I'll you know as a I'll comedian <laughs> as a comedian, I it's feel like it's yeah, it is a classic. Who's in that? It's slapstick. Uh, Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, they don't play big roles. the The main actors, I, I don't think, are were. Like very popular actors. I was or, hoping you'd say big. I was gonna be like Kareem Abdul Jabbar's fucking huge. <laughs> they didn't. Well, he didn't have big part. He was. I would say uh, then. Let me. Uh, who else? Tig Notaro for female comedians um, is super funny. When I was younger, I really liked Martin Lawrence. Uh, you so crazy. I, don't <laughs> I used to watch Martin when I was a kid. <laughs> Martin, yeah, he was funny. I always thought he was funny. Yeah, Martin uh, Lawrence is funny. And uh, I think him and Will Smith are always charismatic in those police movies that they do. The only uh, Michael Bay movies I've ever been able to sit through and Bad Boys enjoy. One and Two. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're by no means perfect movies. A lot of flaws in them, but yeah, I don't. It wasn't so much Michael Bay making a good movie. It was. Martin Lawrence and Will Smith having the charisma and having the great, great you know, the great acting there. Chemistry. Yeah, Will Smith is nothing but charismatic. (laughs) I don't know how he does Well, except for After Earth, but that was an anomaly of Will Smith. Really? Yeah. I I haven't seen that. Uh, He was like a robot in that movie. Like, he he was more of a robot than he was in the movie iRobot. (laughs) Yeah. He wasn't a robot, not a robot. <laughs> oh, wait, he wasn't? I thought he was uh, part robot. No, I don't think He had like so. a robot arm he's or like, something I don't like know. that. I don't know. He, he's gotten to a point of saturation for me. It's like I liked him for too long. It's like, all right, I've had enough. 
You know how you overdo <laughs> right. something? Like, I overdid Eddie Izzard. I watch him all the time for, like, ten years. I love Eddie Izzard. It's just I've seen it so many times. Yeah. Right, yeah. You can, uh, you can wear it out. I, I, I would like to state that my favorite movie of any genre ever is Groundhog Day. Oh, I love that fucking movie. Jesus Christ, movie. it's so good. And it's just, it just has such a deeper meaning to it about like uh it's existential and the thought of like uh what would you do with everlasting life can you create the perfect day um i think there's like a few buddhist churches or something that have like endorsed the movie as like a very buddhist movie oh really yeah i could see that i mean i like the whole like it follows the arc of life like you like after the the first normal day he goes through the second day he's just confused and then he takes advantage of it kind of immaturely. And then he goes through like a depressive phase. And then he goes through like a prolific phase where he learns all these things, tries to become a better person. You know, it seems like it follows a narrative arc of human existence. You know, the director said that he was uh, trapped in that loop for anywhere between 10 and 40 years. Yeah, I had That's heard that. Insane. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. He uh, he learns how to play the piano, ice sculpt. He learns uh, French. He knocks out uh, what's his name? Needle nose Ned. Ned the head. Uh, I love Bill Murray though. I, oh, I just love Bill Murray's everything. great. Yeah. Okay, so I did have uh, just a few more. What is your favorite midnight snack? Oh Jesus Christ! I'm addicted to sugar. I love. Uh, I've really just straight sugar. Terrible <laughs> the bag of sugar. <laughs> well, uh, I spent the entirety of my 20s drinking uh, heavily, and uh, that's an understatement. Just the black- I blacked out like the entirety of my 20s. I remember like making chicken one night and watching Frasier, and uh, apparently you get acclimated physiologically to sugar. So when I quit drinking, uh, and I don't preach about it, I don't go to AA, I just quit myself and went on my merry way. When I quit... Immediately afterwards, I became addicted to sugar. So all I eat is like candy bars, ice cream, and cookies. That's all I eat. Like literally. And like I'll I'll eat cereal, but that's sugar too. Right, right. I mean. Yeah, sweets, definitely. Okay. Eddie Van Halen or David Lee Roth? Oh, man. Um, Trick question, Dio. uh, (laughs) Good answer. How about Slash? (laughs) I, I would have to go with uh, ah, it, it's not my forte. The, the, I grew up on horrible music like Criss Cross and <laughs> MC Hammer. Uh, I Me would, too. Did you really? Yeah, we're well, same demographic. Remember, I I had Jump Jump. I had the single on cassette. I do this uh, stupid joke when I play Urban Rooms. Uh, it's such a stupid joke. It is going to end up ruining me. Uh, so don't take this seriously. I get up there and I'm like, I grew up on hip hop, uh, good, bad, whatever. I listened to uh, Criss Cross growing up and I used to have their posters on my wall. But I, uh, anyway, I found out that Chris Kelly from Criss Cross died and I had their posters on my wall. But now they're quote unquote totally crossed out because he was found mega to mega to mega to mega to unresponsive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is, the only reason I like to say it is because 
I grew up on the Megata 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 Mac. I like the fact that it's Megata 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 unresponsive. It, the unresponsive doesn't start with an M. So it's just like, why would you say that? It's totally unnecessarily wearing your clothes backwards. Um, I, I, if I had to pick one, I'd go with Van Halen, I guess. Yeah, David Lee Roth has just become sad lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, next question. If you were starving and stranded on the forest moon of Endor and came across an Ewok, would you make peace with the oversized Teddy Ruxpin in hopes that he can help you get off the planet? Or would you just kill and eat him because you're hungry? I can I could say something that will uh, baffle you. I have <laughs> never seen a single moment of any Star Wars movie. Mm. Considering uh, the generation you're from, I do know does. Teddy Ruxpin though. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's why I figured you would know that. If I, but just think of like a, a I like bigger Teddy. Teddy Ruxpin that is is like a midget in a bear, in a koala costume. I guess. I think the weirdest thing about that is that I've never seen any of. Those movies, and yet I knew all the references just because they're <laughs> part of culture. All right, but, right. forget the Ewok. How about E.T.? E.T.? Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. But uh, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. So would but you wait, eat it would you, would you eat it? <laughs> would I eat an extraterrestrial? No, I, At I least don't know. At least an Ewok looks tasty. <laughs> like, like, it can make some good stew. E.T. as like... Well, I guess, you know, alligator. People like alligator. And, well, uh, I would eat him, <laughs> like, if after he died. I'd rather try to get information from him. The guy can do shit. Trick question. You befriend <laughs> him in order to eat him. Is that? No, because once you do, then your emotions are connected, and it's like you eat him, and it's like you're eating yourself. <gasps> I would Don't. I would probably sell him. <laughs> to the so government. So I could uh, just uh, stay up, buy a house, stay at home. And watch uh, Frasier and Seinfeld reruns all the time. <laughs> Frasier, that's one I like. Yeah, that's I, I, I've gotten that. <laughs> you yeah. mentioned Frasier like four times already. Did I, like, I already? And it's funny because, like you said, we are the same generation. And me, I was like, yeah, that's too adult of a sitcom for me. Like, I, I just... Oh, you didn't like it? I didn't like... Well... I didn't like Frasier when I was a kid because it was way too over my head and I was a dumb kid watching The Simpsons just constantly. I love The Simpsons. Yeah. So I love yeah. The Simpsons. So that's something we're in on. But yeah, I've never returned to Frasier as an adult to like respect Kelsey Grammer's humor. Yeah. You know? And, and just the jokes that I would get now, you know? I don't know if I would sell it. I, uh, I love the show for a number of reasons. One is that I think David Hyde Pierce and Kelsey Grammer are... Uh, the pinnacle in terms of sitcom comedic acting, like the way they can deliver. I could never deliver those lines as well as they do. So I like that aspect of it. I also uh, just like the, um, the lean joke structure and the writing that comes with it. And uh, I try to dissuade people from believing it's highbrow. It's like there are highbrow elements, but it's, it's pretty universal. A lot of the, jokes you don't need to know the references to get Frasier right people assume that it's just for overeducated people no you can it's be just a the moron British accent and still get yes. it yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know I don't know it's it's hard to sell though I could understand not like I like it but I could understand that other people don't like I, it. both of us just haven't seen it since we were a little too young to appreciate it I've watched all. at least three hours of it in the past week yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> like 
How about we mutually go around and pick which season The Simpsons fell off? Because oh. everybody knows they fell off. I don't know if they came back. They've come back almost in like a renaissance phase. I'm the guy that has watched just straight through and never gave up. And while oh, you did? Uh, I do admit that there was a long time, even currently, they're, they're not the same that they used to be. You know, it's not... Every episode is is awesome, and you can just watch any of them. They're, they're pick and choose your episode. Uh, the newer ones in the last five to ten years have been, you know, more further and f- fewer between. But there are still golden episodes that have been coming out. Oh, okay. just not just not consistently as consistently as before. Uh, to answer your question, yeah. I would say season eleven was the last season that I was like. I think most of the episodes here are funny. I can watch, I can pick any one and laugh at it. I know, I can pinpoint what episode I stopped watching them religiously. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I remember them kind of falling off between nine and 10 season nine and 10, but I, I don't, uh, I feel like I may be off on this. It was the episode where, uh, Homer gets flown to an island or something, and he keeps saying Jeebus instead of Jesus. Uh, That episode, like, I didn't think the joke was that funny at all to begin with, but they uh, tagged it over and over again, like, 12 more times in the episode. Oh, yeah, they just kept going with Jeebus Jeebus, eventually, yeah. Yeah, and I was like... Save me. The first time I was like, save me, Jeebus, I was like, hi, he said Jesus wrong. Yeah. My favorite episode, though, is the one where Lisa turns vegetarian. Such a good one. I know. I love it. And then Paul McCartney's on at the end, and they play maybe a moment. Yeah, on on Apu's rooftop. Yeah. That's your favorite episode? Uh, Yeah, it always has been. Uh, Oddly enough... I, uh, growing up, I taped The Simpsons on VHS. This was before yeah. David I did that with South Park. I, I did you that. did? I did that with South Park. I have like 20 tapes probably. Of I did that with South Park episodes. I had all the episodes, uh, all the way up until I, I did Jeebus episode. I stopped recording after that. But then like a year after that, they came out with the DVDs. And I was like, you guys, I, I was like so upset. Yeah. Because I was the one who spent my whole life working yep, on right. this. <laughs> Making the collection and they're like, yourself. oh yeah, we're just going to give it out to everybody. I do remember that. And, and I didn't have a DVD 40 bucks a clip too, at the so time. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's, I, I know. Uh, my favorite had, episode is Marge versus the Monorail. The, the Monorail episode, season four. You know Conan wrote O'Brien that? wrote that. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, Simpsons nuts. Let's high yeah, five yeah. <laughs> I feel like we found some common ground there. There you go. go, yeah. I'll give you a quiz. Name uh, as many of the top five in order uh, voiceover actors in history. The top five. You know all their names. The top five? Half of them are on The Simpsons. <laughs> or they're all on The Simpsons. As uh, in uh, top five, what do you mean? Five of the top five? Like... Is that subjective? No, one of them is. I one of them is from The Simpsons. Top five according to uh, who? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, monetarily, like wealthiest. Oh, okay. Voiceover. Oh, wealthiest. Really? Because The Simpsons are like now they're making like four hundred thousand an episode. No, you'd be surprised to know uh, most of the Simpsons voiceover actors are. I think it's they. They're all in a chunk. It's like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
Wow. Um, I I'd would imagine. But you know the names of all the top five. Yeah. yeah. Castellaneta and Nancy Cartwright got to be on there as important as their characters are. Not in the are. top five. They're not. But wow. is Hank Azaria? Not in the top not five. Not in the top wow. five. I would have figured just the fact that they speak Homer and Bart would have been like, look, we'll pay you whatever. You're our Robert Downey Jr. Tress right McNeil? Is that The Simpsons? No. You said there was one, right? One. Boy, and I've like listed most of them already. <laughs> You're missing one. You know uh, his name. His name? Yeah. It's a he. Oh. Still alive? Yeah. So it's not Phil Hartman. No, he's not. He doesn't contribute almost at all in The Simpsons. He's considered a voiceover. Paul McCartney. No. (laughs) No. Celebrities count? Ah, shit. Matt Groening, their creator. Oh, okay. Because he does, he's done. He does a couple things in the show. He's been himself in the show, too. He's the second wealthiest voiceover actor. First is Walt Disney. Any guesses on uh, three and four? Nah, go ahead. Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yes! And then right after that is, uh, oh, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. Could have figured. Yep. You're uh, right. I do know all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have guessed so. I, because I wouldn't have guessed Matt Groening either. Because like, it, it, what well, he's they, the top, you said? Well, he's number two. He's the only alive. He's the wealthiest uh, one that's alive. That's a great order there in Matt Groening, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Seth By the McFarlane. way, the, the, Perfect. the wealth. <laughs> discrepancy between Walt Disney and the rest of them is like unbelievable. Walt Disney is something like, uh, like had like $8 billion. And then the next one down is Matt Groening has $300 million. Now is that included in Walt Disney as in Walt Disney estate is still making money. So he, no, what his net worth would have been at his death in, uh, you know, and accounting for, uh, it's how much they put in the the cryogenic chamber with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How much, how much he was he buried with? with. <laughs> yeah, how much he was frozen with? Eight hundred. <laughs> He's gonna wake up broke though. Somebody's gonna take that. I guarantee it. He's gonna be sweeping up vomit at, at Disney World. Yeah, it was his great grandson for it's one okay. figure an hour. <laughs> one figure. All right, so today, what you wanted to talk about, Dan McCourt, fish, the popular... The species, the yeah, animal. Species, we're just going to talk about... Random fish. fish, catfish, sturgeon, champ. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, is this your favorite band, fish, or... Uh, yeah, I, w- I would have to say so. It's my favorite live act. I would say it's my favorite band. It, it has been for a while. I don't passionately follow them like I used to, but uh, I've seen them in concert somewhere between 60 and 80 times. Ridiculous. Uh, oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. it's a lot of times, uh, which I never admit to anybody. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever spend like a full tour of theirs just following them like a lot of their fans did? Yeah, I did a couple summers. How do people afford that? Uh, uh, they sell drugs. Oh, okay. Well, secrets are being revealed. Yeah. And <laughs> make sure to, that you notice the pronoun I use, which is they sell drugs. Right. <laughs> I, I, heard, uh, yeah. <laughs> I I followed them and lived on love. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I was interested in in talking about uh, fish. Uh, I definitely have a, um, I don't know. I wouldn't say a wealth of knowledge. They're uh, they have a cult like following, uh, and uh, I even though I've seen them maybe seventy times or something, there are so many people that would still consider me not a, a noob. Hu- yeah, there are people who've seen them like okay. two hundred. So what you're saying times. is I should scratch the quiz I had for you at the end of fish. Oh, you can quiz <laughs> me. I just don't know if I. There, there are like fans who know how many times they've played certain songs. They're like, oh yeah, Runaway Jim. They've played that nine hundred and seventy-two times. Oh yeah, Lama. First time yeah. was in Albuquerque in '89. Yeah. What good does it do you to know that? <laughs> Well, you're adding to the pointless minutiae of uh, human existence. No, I know we are, but we're not talking about Fairpoint. No, I mean those We're not people talking are. about Fairpoint podcast right now. Oh, yeah. About. Those people, uh, I guess, I, I mean, if it adds joy to your life, then, uh, you oh. know, all to it. But uh, the fact is, no, I, I think it's totally useless. I also, I support people who travel and follow fish and waste their life doing that, but... I did it for enough time, and then I, I got back to ground zero and, like, moved on. Yeah, yeah. my life centers around um, the knowing of pointless information. That's why I started a podcast. Like, I'm not even being facetious right there. Like, so yeah, you know I, what I just found out judge. the other day? A, you know, uh, like a bunch of crows is called a murder. Uh, yeah. A yeah. group of pugs. Do you know what that's called? No. The dog? Yeah. Pugs? A group of pugs. <laughs> They're called pu- dogs. <laughs> they're called. He's like, no, I wasn't asking. I was answering I was your answering. question. <laughs> uh, they're called a grumble. A grumble. That's a grumble awesome. of pugs. There's I just so many good out. ones. A group of baboons is called a congress of baboons. A congress. I thought you'd like that. I I do like that. Makes sense. It's a little yeah. political slant. On it. <laughs> There's a lot of really good ones that I can't remember right now, but yeah. What was uh? What do you call a group of fish heads? An unemployment line? <laughs> Something like that? Uh, well, I, but it wouldn't you... make sense because how are you going to pick up your check from state to state? I think food stamps are international. Or uh, not international. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. <laughs> um, no, I think they cross state boundaries. I, they're uh, provided by the state. Can you imagine? Yeah, no, but I... Oh, you can use them I elsewhere? I think so. If you have, like, uh, if you have, uh, what do they call it? Not food stamp. EBT, it's a card you get. Uh-huh. I think you can use them out of state. Don't quote me on this. I don't know what you're... I'm gonna. I don't know what the, your listener group, like, what the socioeconomic level of your listener group <laughs> I'm is. Gonna, I'm going to be like, listen, like, Mr. fucking Quickie Mart. If, like, every I know single, Dan McCourt. Yeah, every <laughs> single one of your fans is like, hey, look, my food stamps work in Albuquerque <laughs> because I heard a comedian on a podcast. And uh, There's yeah. their first problem. Yeah, <laughs> don't get your information from me. <laughs> I mean, especially considered what I said earlier. Um, yeah, I'm not a reliable source. Although I do know quite a bit about fish. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, hands down my favorite band. I, I love them. Do you know what year they started? Uh, like, do you know like their background and stuff, or are you just like? Yeah, I yeah, like their I, music. Uh, I I don't know as accurately. Uh, I, I'm going to speak. I, I'm just going to assume that I know more than 99% of the listeners, but there is that one. <laughs> Could be. There's going to be that assume. one fish fan who's going to be like, nah, man, 
It was in 1984 when, you know... Uh, it wasn't fully started, man. I mean, they first originated, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was uh, originally intended... Well, uh, let me break down the band. The lead guitarist, lead songwriter, lead singer is Trey Anastasio. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. the quiz. That was the first orange. question of the quiz. That's uh, the guy with the big orange beard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he has an uh, orange beard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He is, uh, he's pretty much what could be considered the leader of the band. Uh, although, uh, in my fish tenure, uh, it was unpopular for some odd reason to be a big fan of Trey. All the fucking in cool kids would be like, no, man, I like Paige. Paige McConnell's the keyboardist. So they'd be like, I like Gordon, the bassist. Uh, and John Fishman, F-I-S-H-M-A-N, uh, is the drummer, but the band name is Fish, P-H-I-S-H. They were formed in uh, Burlington, Vermont. Trey originally wanted it to be a two-guitar band, and uh, I fucking forgot the name of the dude who was the other guitarist. Went insane and never spoke to them again, maybe. <laughs> Uh, and then they picked up their last member in their late 80s, uh, the last member was Paige McConnell, the keyboardist. Okay. Uh, and from what I've heard, he's uh, a pothead and he's balding. Oh, I kind of honestly assume that about all the band members at this point. Uh, <laughs> Trey, the lead member, well, I definitely pothead. think is sober. He's uh, sober. He got arrested in early 2000 sometime. They found drugs in his car and then he went to, uh, what do you call it, drug court? And they forced him to get into some program, and he got clean. And now he's like the spokesperson for drug court. Oh, wow. Which is odd, because <laughs> is uh, odd. they don't have many successful spokespeople. Uh, because they're like, yeah, I done quit cracking. I still got <laughs> one tooth left. And then they're like, all right, our next speaker... Uh, played the Apollo and uh, <laughs> sold out Madison Square Garden. So they put his face on the drug court thing. And now he's sober. And uh, if it's working for him, uh, I'll be a, I, I love the guy. I was always a Trey fan, even when it was unpopular among the hardcore fish fans. I always loved Trey. Even though I'm a drummer, I, I go for Trey, the guitarist. Oh, you drum. Yeah, yeah. I played drums for a long time. I played drums for almost 20 years. I was big into um, kind of funk fusion drumming. I played uh, I played Jazz Fest. Uh, I played for Wynton Marsalis, who came out at Jazz Fest in Syracuse. We played the Amerbeat Festival at Sterling Stage. I was in a reggae band then. We opened up for Eka Mouse, who's a reggae artist, The Wailers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Eka Mouse. That's awesome. Yeah, I honestly yeah. didn't even realize Eka Mouse was still alive. That's fucking cool. He still plays shitty bars, and uh, <laughs> nobody knows who he is. Like, he has two fans in the audience, and the rest are like, it was, it, what kind of music is this? Cal- <laughs> well, Calypso? It's the wrong, yeah, probably the wrong place to find a fan base for him, but he's huge as far as, you know, reggae is concerned. Yeah, yeah, in the world of reggae, yeah. He, he is huge. We opened up for John Brown's Body. Uh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. I was a big drummer for a long time. I um, Actually, that uh, that's a good bridge. Um, people always ask, like, how you got into comedy. Um, 
Uh, it was two reasons. One is uh, there were a couple times when I was younger where I was like telling stories around friends or at camp and I could make people laugh for a long period of time. So I had the idea that maybe I could do stand up, but I didn't have the balls to do it. But uh, the other big influence was that um, I never grew up and I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a drummer in a rock band. Uh, but the thing is, I knew that n I could never find other musicians who were diehard and who would just, you know, because... He, right, to start a band. You can't, like, book yourself for, like, a two-hour drum solo. <laughs> right. You're like, I'm just a solo drummer. So, and I was always worried that I'd get into a band, we get, like, five years deep, and somebody would be like, I met this chick, her name's Yoko, and I'm going to leave. <laughs> and, you know, so... Um, I wanted to I wanted to be a performer and I wanted to make sure that I wanted to make it. I didn't want to back down and I knew that I couldn't do that with I couldn't trust other people with my life that much. So I went into stand up instead. It was my yeah, second solo choice. gig there. I like it more now than I do drumming, but yeah, you you hear it all the time. Like even great bands that could aspire to being more than they are will get going, and then the bass player's like, I got into law school, and it's like, what the fuck is that, dude? <laughs> That's not even close to what we're doing. Left like, field, yeah, dude. But I was think thinking, of it as a side project. <laughs> I kind of wanted to be a DWI attorney. It's like, no, we're going to be <laughs> fucking rock stars. Are you insane? So I, like, I just didn't want to rely on anybody else, and uh, I'm 32 now. I do stand-up. I'm not nearly as successful as all my friends of my age who are like, oh, now I'm a practicing attorney or now I manage an industrial uh, flooring company and um, I, I install laminate flooring till I'm 60. And I'm like, wow, you just threw away your whole fucking life. You've accomplished. I wouldn't say that to their face. I'm like, it's good to see you, Jeff. Um, <laughs> but uh, like... No, I just don't know. I'm 32 and I'm still committed. I still work all the time. I stayed up all last night writing, uh, writing. So I work as hard as possible to make it happen. So that's why I went into stand up. But it, the original goal was to be a rock star. I wanted to be a rock star. That's what I've heard is that that's true of all stand up comedians. Really? I, I, I haven't know. heard that. I, I wouldn't be surprised though. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, at first, it was like, uh, I do want to admit this. At first, the stand-up thing was, uh, yeah, I want to be famous and stuff like that. But um, that faded quickly. And somewhere around year like five or six, I just wanted to be really good at stand-up. And I lost all interest in the, like, uh, whatever comes with possible. Like, in the trajectory of a stand-up, career there's some modest level of celebrity and money that comes with it but i've been i i've done it for free for 10 years so i'm not in it for the money or any of that stuff i just want to be good at it right you know? right maybe it's not that like all stand-up comedians originally wanted to be rock stars Maybe it's just that, like, everybody originally wanted to be a rock star. Like, maybe that's like having a pet dinosaur. Like, anyone could say that. Yeah, a unicorn <laughs> or something. I wanted to be a football player. Did you? Yeah. When did you let that one die? Oh, after I graduated high school. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> and I didn't play college. I hear that. 
I I don't like this is not directed at you. I don't know how people give up on their dreams. You know, people are like I want to be in the ballet, and then you meet them at your twenty year high school reunion, and you're like, I might do clerical work at uh, Walmart, and uh, and it's just like, well, that that's horrible. Like, I'm sorry. People choose a safe route. I don't know. I, I, I mean, if it came down to me living in a homeless shelter and just walking to open mics, I would do that. I'd, I I would throw every... I've thrown everything away. I have nothing... Uh, no, but, I mean, I had the option. I, I could be living a lucrative, upstanding lifestyle. I mean, I graduated. I did a triple major in college, and I could get a legitimate job you know, and work somewhere and make money. But no, I'm broke and I barely make ends meet doing road gigs. And sometimes they pay well. Comedy pays pretty well, but it's not consistent. Like maybe uh, I only get one paid show this month, but I make 450 bucks. And then the next month I get stiff twice, but I get one show that pays me 600 bucks. And then um, it's spotty, but it'll pick up. I mean, I think... I, I'm a firm believer, and this is actually part of, this will link back to Fish. I'm a, a firm believer that, like, uh, if you're really determined to get something done, then uh, you can do it. And uh, it links back to Fish uh, based on the first time I saw the band in concert. It was at Vernon Downs in equestrian track, I don't know, uh, you know, where the ponies run and people bet and uh, lose money and yeah, mortgages, drink and beat their wives and whatever that type of thing. Anyway, they, so they played that venue and I didn't want to go because I hated fish. I had heard one of their songs called Contact. Contact goes like this. It's uh, the tires are the things on your car that make contact with the road. Uh, <laughs> The car is the thing in your garage that gets you back to your abode. And I was like, that's the worst music I've ever heard. And I had no interest in ever seeing this fucking band. And, uh, is this for children? <laughs> it, it's garbage. And I, I still stand by that. Their lyrics are fucking atrocious. The, those aren't even the worst lyrics. I, it gets way worse than that. Embarrassingly bad. So I didn't want to go, but all my friends were going and they were like, you can find LSD on the lot. And I was like, I don't know if that's enough. And they'd be like, we're all going <laughs> to buy, I'll buy you LSD. And I was like, yeah, which is not <laughs> too expensive. You spend 20 bucks and you can't speak for a week. So there, I was like, all right. So we went to the fish concert. I didn't want to be there. I liked one of their songs. It was called Sample in a Jar. They didn't play it that night, but uh, we went there, immediately got to the Fish parking lot. If you don't know Fish, basically what it is, is it has a following similar to the Grateful Dead. A bunch of unwashed underachievers who are mostly on drugs uh, travel around with this band that plays jam music and get together. And it's like tailgating for football games with a lot l- less alcohol and a lot less food 
physique and doodliness where it's like, yes, pound beer. And, and way more <laughs> drugs. And way more drugs, yeah. yeah. And we got to the lot and they were like, hey, let's buy some acid. So we bought a ton of acid and instead of like doing it with any sort of agenda, we just started ripping off 10 strips of acid and handing it to each other. And in the span of like five minutes, we devoured all the acid we had. And I'd taken acid a number of times at, at that time and it usually takes like Anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour to kick in before you start getting visuals and some body high and stimulation. Uh, We took so much acid that literally like 10 minutes after we dropped it, I was hallucinating pretty hard. And I was like petrified. I was like, I took too much. Because I knew 10... I was like, we took this like four minutes ago and (laughs) shit is getting weird. (laughs) The whole time leading up to the concert, I had cotton mouth. I think we were probably smoking pot. I think I was that whole year. So I I was petrified. And the weird thing was, it was in my hometown. So all these people at the concert, I knew. And they were all coming up to me like, hey, Dan, what's up? And I'm like, I can't communicate with anybody (laughs) because I'm in a different stratosphere. You know, like... You know, I don't know how to Are network you the gatekeeper? this. Yeah, that's got to be the worst. <laughs> it was horrible. I was petrified, and the only thing I could say was water. And it was around the time that those like really unhygienic biohazard Nalgene bottles were popular. <laughs> You remember when people yeah. would have a Nalgene bottle and they were like, yeah. I washed this in 1970 and there's like <laughs> algae growing in it. And I'd be like, water. And they'd be like, here you go, bro, man, Jenner. And I'd like, oh, just be like, nah, the water. Have you taken that off your <laughs> yeah. bike at all? Yeah. Like- <laughs> it's like, there's a film of like aquatic life in there. That is like a... a Take a swig, man. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not drinking that. So I couldn't explain myself. I was too high and I was paranoid. And uh, You just took it, didn't you? You did it. You drank the water. I didn't drink the water. No, I did not drink the water. But the weirdest fucking thing happened like momentarily. What happened was all my fucking dirty friends were wearing uh, Birkenstock sandals like you'd expect from... (laughs) Hippies. It's like all the hippies that followed the Grateful Dead, uh, fish fans are like that. They follow them around the country, except it's not peace and love. They think it's peace and love. It's drugs and, and lack of hygiene. That's like what <laughs> they're known for. Grateful Dead is not known for that, too? Uh, it, no, they're peace and love and body odor. That's oh, okay. it, it's a distinction. <laughs> Just a, yeah, right. No, there's no hippie sentiment like uh, uh, some overarching spiritual theme. Nobody's like, well, I found enlightenment. And it was like, well, I looked at the light and then there's a spectrum. And if you embrace it, none of that shit. People are like, I'm fucked, dude. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know, man. Are you seeing that? I'm not seeing that. Yeah, this is crazy. It's nothing spiritual or enlightening. Uh, I, I mean, I felt enlightened, but that's because I was on a shit ton of acid Anyway, they were all wearing Birkenstocks, my friends, and they were like, we need to sneak pot into the concert. This is my first fish concert. I didn't know that nobody there cared about anything. You could just walk in and be like, hey, I got heroin and an AIDS needle. And they'd be like, yeah, you're fine. Go. So I was paranoid about sneaking in, mostly because I was tripping out. I stuck it in my sock. We 
snuck the pot in and I was still thirsty and didn't have any water. <laughs> and we got the pot out and smoked more, which is good when you want water. You want I was water like, is the first thing to think of is smoking weed. Yeah. It, like, yeah. <laughs> it feels like I have sand in my mouth. Can I hit that gravity bong? You might even actually have sand in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been my, diverted I, doubts. My fucking <laughs> bloody eyes itch. Can I smoke more pot? And I ended up stumbling into a childhood friend of mine, my next door neighbor who I grew up with. We spent life together for like 10 years. I hadn't spoke to this kid. He left for Colorado. I hadn't seen him or spoken to him in like five years. So it was like we spent every day together and then one day we stopped talking and then five years later, I run into him and I can't communicate at all because I'm on so much acid. And normally there's that cordial thing like, hey, how you been doing, man? Yeah, no, I'm working at the thing and things going on. I was just like water. He's like, sorry about not reminiscing, but I, I'm like out there. Well, I got this Nalgene bottle for you. He did. He had a fucking Nalgene bottle. Well, I've got this gravity ball. Yeah. No, he did. He had a lot of pot, and I was, uh, I had a lot of anxiety. I don't know uh, what your experience with pot is. If you smoke enough of it, uh, like sometimes you get anxious, but if you smoke beyond that, it becomes really like a big sedative. Like it takes down the anxiety at some point. Somehow I mustered it. He got he he was an astute kid. He he knew me, so he was like, "Oh, this kid's." A, I, I must have said LSD. I took too much. That was it. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, smoke this!" And he just we smoked tons of pot. I didn't care about the concert at all. I couldn't even see the stage. I was standing Did, in. Do you even hear it? Do you remember anything from music? Oh, I remember the music uh, by heart. Actually, I remember the whole concert by heart. But. Um, I also listened to that concert like 500 times subsequently. Anyway, uh, they get on stage, everybody cheers, and uh, one of my classmates, uh, Rachel, he was like, hey, dude, I'm like, leave. And she's a nice girl. I was just like, I can't handle this. So we're smoking pot, and uh, I'm in like complete disarray. Like, I'm so uncomfortable. And they start playing ZZ Top's LaGrange. Uh, it's like a shuffle beat. Uh, they're playing it, and everything's kind of like the crowd's electric. Everybody's, uh, they're huge fans, they're diehard fans. Everybody's lively. There's like this whole electric, energetic thing going on. And as soon as the drum fill hits, it's a like a triple. I'm a drummer. It was like a triplet fill. That's kind of contagious. It's like why people like Michael Jackson. It's uh, like that shuffle beat that you'd find yeah. in uh, uh, like Motown music has that shuffle contagious shuffle beat. They open with that, and as soon as the drums kicked in, all my like acid hallucinations turned into like visual. Like, everything became euphoric, and everything was better from the moment the show started. And it lasted throughout the entire show. It just got better. And their musicianship is phenomenal. And uh, throughout that whole thing, I had this acid trip, which I want to explain also about the drugs in it. But uh, I had this acid trip that changed my life permanently. And I mean this 
I, I don't know how to impart this because there's no way to be like, hey, I took acid at a rock concert. My life got better. Like, there is this. <laughs> For kids. Yeah. You know? I, I meant my life got better in the sense that when I first went to college, I wanted to go to med school and I got a 4-0 in college. The only reason I got a 4-0 in college, I can, not the only reason, one of the contributing factors was that night when I went to fish. The concert was such a phenomenal experience. And by the time I had already seen tons of concerts, uh, Chili Peppers, Dave Matthews Band, uh, uh, Leonard Skinner, a bunch of good and bad artists. And uh, that Fish concert, I had such a phenomenal experience with the music and the energy and the just the overall experience that it clicked in my head. I was like, if these people can create such a lively, entertaining experience, they're just normal fucking people. They're not gods that... They're a bunch of burnout. Like, I was right. well aware that they're just a fucking rock band. It occurred to me that I could do anything I want to do in my life. All I have to do is work hard enough at it. And that all happened during that Fish concert. And that created, like, a synaptical, like, strengthen, like, strengthen that one synapse of persistence, which is, like... All right, if I'm going to go, I'm either going to go to college or I'm not. But if I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a 4-0 and I'm going to tutor anatomy and physiology and biochemistry. And like I worked hard because I was like, if these burnouts can fucking be millionaire rock stars, I can be a fucking doctor or I can be a comedian. And that's what that night gave to me, which sounds ridiculous. Like, and I'm sure the acid had a lot to do with it. But the one argument that I hate about it is that people are like, the only reason you like fish is because the the drugs at the concert. The thing is, like, that would be true if acid made everything better. But acid makes uh, almost everything worse. It makes church (laughs) worse. It makes surgery worse. It makes, like, it makes fucking the drunk tank worse. It makes jail worse. Yeah. It makes, like, manslaughter when you drive into another car. It makes everything worse. (laughs) If there's one thing that acid makes better, if fish can make acid better, then albeit I'm happy for them. So, yeah, I had a great... That was one of the two acid experiences of my life that changed everything for me. And oddly enough, the other one was uh, another fish show. Um... (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm pretty confident that my, my life is going to turn out well. I work hard and things are going to turn out well. But it, it really uh, is a testament to that night. It was just such an amazing experience that I was like, if somebody can make me experience something that great, then if I could do something one-tenth as good as that, then I will be happy with my life. I don't know. That's what the band meant to me. But I understand why people fucking hate him. They're music. <laughs> Wilson. But I understand why people. Wilson. Yeah. Wilson. Like, yeah. like that. Like the whole last ten minutes yeah. was just a build up to that. But <laughs> no, I I totally understand. But lyrically, they're garbage. <laughs> no, that I could bash them all day. I mean, I I love the band Death, but there uh, there's a lot of garbage associated with their music and their scene. And uh, 
What do you know about Gamehenge? I only recently found out about this whole Gamehenge thing while preparing for this episode. Yeah, I wish I could tell you more about it. I, I, I can give you the overlay. Uh, Fish was at... Uh, sorry, uh, Trey was studying at music school and he got kicked out due to uh, insubordination or authoritative issues. He got kicked out, but while he was working under his biggest influence, I forgot the name of the guy. It's uh, some asshole. You can look it up. <laughs> Trey's biggest inspiration was one of his. Uh, he studied classical composition, and a lot of the earlier Fish music is classical composition delivered uh, to a rock band. If you listen to their early albums, their and some of their later fugues and whatever. Which is a, a, a fugue. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's a fucking word that fish fans love to throw around as if they know anything about music. They're like, well, Trey wrote fugues and nobody knows what that word means. <laughs> anyway, he wrote this thing called Gamehenge and it's uh, a story set to music and it's about uh, Icolus and lizards <laughs> and. Uh, I'll tell you what, I got this. I actually did a little bit of reading about it because it piqued my interest. They've played it one time, Gamehenge. It's actually called The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday. It Mm -hmm. was his senior project. Do you know what college it was? Uh, Goddard College. I wanted to say Goddard. For some odd reason, I thought that was a sister school to one of the Ivy League schools. Where did they form? They formed... Vermont. At the University of Vermont. At the, yeah. University of Vermont, yeah. But I guess this album is about uh, this guy, Colonel Forbin, is walking his faithful dog, McGrupp, one day, and he finds this door to another land, as one does, and he steps through <laughs> it, as <laughs> one does. Um, yeah, I do well, Wouldn't you be curious? Yeah. He winds up in Gamehenge, which is this beautiful lush like forest world like endor which is a reference that you don't get because you've never watched star wars and i'm sorry but because you've never watched star wars Wars. i'm gonna make the reference just to rub it in all right (laughs) living there in this beautiful fucking planet world place uh there's a bunch of lizard people Mm. who live in peace and harmony with each other with nature and they follow the teachings in the helping friendly book that's what it's called, the Helping Friendly Book. And uh, I guess one day, this is before uh, Colonel Forbin had showed up, this guy named Wilson arrived. And he lived among them for a while. You referenced uh, earlier, Wilson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I listened to the first few tracks of, oh. of it on YouTube. I found it on YouTube. Clever girl. So. Okay. He lives among the lizards for a while, but he eventually betrays their trust, takes the book, and then he uses it to enslave the lizards I don't know. How did he use it to enslave the lizard? Does it have powers, or did he like lie about what it says inside? Or uh, I should know the details of this. At some point, if I'm not mistaken, they have to create time. Isn't that <laughs> like Just... somebody needs to create time? Otherwise, time will not go on. I thought you had the whole story there. Is that but where time is going well, on now, man? Um, I do. I just don't. I don't have all the like finer details. It's more of a summary of the the major events. Cliff notes. Basically, he takes the book. He uses it to enslave the lizards, and then he locks the book away in this giant tower. 
Colonel Forbin, when he shows up, decides to help the lizards, and they, they've got, like, this revolutionary sect that's, like, standing up to fight against Wilson, and he goes and climbs this big, prominent <clears throat> mountain to meet the wise old Iculus, who's the prophet that wrote the, helpy, the Helping Friendly book. I almost called it the Helping... You know, helpy... by the way, that's just such a trashy, like, infantile name <laughs> for... This is his opus... Yeah, what's the name of the book? <laughs> the Helping Friendly Book. All right, thanks, Mr. Rogers. Grow up. We're all on drugs. Helping Friendly Book? Call it the fucking... Uh, something better. Call it the uh, Immaculate Conception Novel or the... Ooh, that's good. Veritable Merriam-Webster's Everything You Need to Know About Life. Something. No, the Helping Friendly Book. <laughs> Fucking stupid. The book that's, of see, life. that's a reason as to written, hate fish. It's written by Barney and uh, Bebe. Was that her name? Bebe? I don't know. Uh, the, other di- the other dinosaur? I didn't oh, watch Barbie. Come Barney, on. Guys, I, was, I was too old for Barney. I was that. too, but you guys grew up. You, Barney? You grew up its existence. He had another dinosaur friend. Oh, yeah. The, it was a little the, triceratops. This is a horrible, horrible tangent. Stacey? <laughs> a Barney tangent? did Barney come in the <laughs> middle of talking the about helping, my trans... The friendly book. I'm in the middle of talking about my transcendence <laughs> in, in, into enlightenment with this band, and you're like, Barney had a friend. Um... First and foremost, I think Barney fucked over an entire generation of children. I think he was a pedophile. Yeah, which is not illegal. I think bestiality in some states is illegal, thanks to Mr. Hands. Have you heard about that? <laughs> Mr. Hands? No. There was a guy who called himself Mr. Hands who had a viral video in which he was sodomized by a horse punctured his whatever cavity is up there uh, part of his bowels <laughs> oh and my God. and he didn't want to go to the doctor because he didn't want anybody to find out about what happened even though he, he made a video <laughs> they made a video it wasn't supposed to come out here's what happened he didn't want anybody to know he he was a professional like he had a, a an esteemed job and he died so in his honor they made a movie about him <laughs> So he didn't want anybody to know it got turned into a motion picture about bestiality what? in which he died. This is a real was story. He, what, what, how, did he, how did that happen? Was he making a video of having sex with a horse? Or? Yeah, he, okay. he was into having sex with horses, I guess. And okay. the horse f- fucked him in the ass. Is that a little graphic? And punctured his, I guess that would be your sigmoid colon, from my days of anatomy and physiology. He punctured it. He didn't want to go to the doctor because he didn't want anybody to find out about it. And when he died, it got turned into a movie. Just look up Mr. Hands. You I, could find all the whole I movie. I don't want to look up Mr. Hands. No, the movie so. doesn't show any, any of the bestiality. It's well, just the story of the guy who died. So what you're saying is... Anal sex with a horse can be a killer. Yeah, yeah, in so <laughs> many words. That's what I am retaining from this. Got you. Mental that note is, made. Uh, I'll try to avoid that for the rest of my life. That's an adage, and I'm, I haven't finished the Bible, but I think it was one of the commandments. Thou shalt not fuck a horse? No, uh, equestrian penetration can lead to death. <laughs> it, and it was the only commandment that didn't say thou shalt not it was was just just, it got to the point yeah (laughs) said don't do this 
if you're really feeling for something that's yeah. furry, go with a goat. It's much smaller. Yeah. Safer. I'm not even going to tell you what to do. Here's the facts. Clydesdale. Figure it out. I feel like yeah. I just blasphemed fish in the middle of his, <laughs> in the middle of his senior Magnum opus. We talk about some guy getting fucked to death by a horse. <laughs> no, you talked about it. I did. I ruined that. See, I'm not a good fan. <laughs> okay, so Colonel Forbin... Uh, he climbed the mountain, and he met Iculus, the prophet that wrote the Helping Friendly book. Yeah. Iculus sends his buddy, the famous Mockingbird, to go get the book, and then gives the book to one of the revolutionaries who uses it to take over Gamehenge, captures the Mockingbird, and has a sloth kill Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why the sloth was his prime candidate. It's one of their songs. He was like, it's in a fish song. Just do it. It's a song. Yeah, I don't know which came out first. The, I think the writing came out first on the song. Well, it was. I think that was the project, was the yeah. album. Yeah. So that's pretty much the end, but Iculus leaves Colonel Forbin with this warning. A tree of knowledge in your soul will grow, and the helping friendly book will plant the seed. But I warn you that all knowledge seeming innocent and pure becomes a deadly weapon in the hands of avarice and greed. Wow, he made one run there. That's good. <laughs> That's Wow, he's rivaling Eminem. He should who, try uh, to rap. Who rhymes six syllables with six syllables. He what was it? Uh greed and yeah. I am now no, going to start uh, smoking weed. I stand firm <laughs> in that most of the fish lyrics are garbage. I can give some examples. Okay, I'm not going to defend any of these. I will defend the band, but I'm not going to defend these because I find them insulting that I have to like this band and these are some of the lyrics. Ready? Here goes one. Quote, unquote. Time for the meat stick. Bury the meat stick. Take out the meat stick. Time. Woe shocks my brain. No, no, no. That's a Nicki Minaj song. Is that how she got HPV? <laughs> well, From if the... it wasn't how... Isn't it always... <laughs> if it wasn't it how, always... it at least helped. The more you know. Yeah. All right, so... Do not insert... Uh, the meat stick meat without sticks. a prophylactic. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think... Let me get this right. There, there's a couple worse ones. Uh, oh, we have a symbol because we have a band and we have symbols in our band. <laughs> Here... <laughs> Okay, it gets worse. It gets worse. Should have changed his name to Rhymier. Here's another verse of that song. We have skyscrapers because we have a band and we have skyscrapers <laughs> in our band. And no, every you don't. And every band should have skyscrapers too. That's one of their lyrics. Granted, they are high, but they don't own skyscrapers. <laughs> No. Okay, speaking of high, though, I, I do have a question. Have you seen one of these infamous Fishman vacuum solos? Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. Wait, what? He plays the vacuum. I'm still not sure. I saw him do Purple Rain, and uh, he did a vacuum solo during it. And I got to say, that is the whitest version of Purple Rain I've ever heard. Craig, will you do me a favor? Princess Purple Rain. Will you ask that question to the next person that you talk to out of context? Hey, man. <laughs> Have you ever heard the Fishman Purple Rain vacuum solos? 
<laughs> and you said yes. Yeah, I, I have. I'm not, well, I've been to seventy concerts. So I've seen pretty much everything that. Right. I've well, they said uh, like those words together. I also heard that they they've never played the same set twice. I don't know if that's factual, but their sets change every night, and they don't write a set list. I would actually like to add this to it. I uh, stopped going to Fish uh, around their first... They were supposed to break up permanently in 2004, which I have a really good story about. They had a final concert. They were going to break up for good. Anyway, years later, they came back together. I... It had seen roughly 60 shows when they broke up and I'd never gotten that close to the stage. I've always been like 30 rows back. That's still pretty close considering the, that they have the, 60,000 yeah, people there. The yeah. Venue. But uh, no, I'd never gotten that close to the stage. Anyway, they played in Syracuse. This was after I stopped following them. They played in Syracuse, my hometown. I was there. I got tickets. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to try to get front row. I've I've spent enough time. You know how much money I've fucking spent on the band? I've seen them in Maine, Vegas, Florida, uh, Madison Square Garden. I've seen them in fucking uh, Indiana. I've seen them driven and spent hotels and camp. I've put so much time into it. I deserve one fucking front seat concert. They Damn played- straight. Damn skippy. They played in Syracuse. They had tons of security there. And there were gates and everything up, and I um, pounced back and forth in front of the gates. And I didn't have front row seats. I was way in the balconies. And waited till all the fucking people weren't looking, hopped the gate, scooted past all the people, and got all the way front row dead center. It was like my second to last show. I finally got front row dead center, and it was... uh, it was all right. <laughs> it was it was great. I loved the band, but um, the one cool thing about it is uh, they are notorious for not playing the same set twice. What they do is they go on stage and they have no agenda at all. They just start jamming. They just they go out there and see what they feel like playing, like what the energy is like, and uh, it's. They're they're masterful in terms of their improvisational skills. They're uh, without a doubt some of the most accomplished musicians touring today. But one thing I wanted to say about that concert is I got front row. I didn't know if they did this or not, but I yelled out a song I wanted to hear, and they heard it and they played it. Oh, that's so awesome! Yeah, that's they played a song I fucking wanted to hear. I. You know what would have been even better was if they just stopped and looked at you and let you keep going until you made an ass of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Can we check his ticket, please? (laughs) Can somebody somebody check this man's ticket? No, it's fine. (laughs) Use my own words against me. That's fucking fine. It's not like I asked for something ridiculous. It wasn't like I was like too legit to quit. I asked for a fucking legitimate. Yeah. No, I asked for a song, and um, I don't know. It was really validating, but the the most important thing is, like, uh, Trey is, like, uh, such a huge inspiration in my life, and the fact that I know he's heard me, (laughs) 
actually means something to me. Like, no, totally. I totally get that. Yeah, I felt yeah. the same like, way. I, I know for a fact he heard me because he played the song I asked him to play. I'm going to meet him one day and tell him. I, one he's going to be like, I don't care. It's slightly unrelated, but same idea, I guess. One of my all-time favorite artists, her name's Dessa. She's like a singer, songwriter, rapper, poet. Really cool. She's from Minnesota. Um, a couple years ago, it's D-E-S-S-A. I see you pulling your pen out. A couple years what ago, music is it? it's hip hop, but it's really independent, very poetic, really cool hip hop. Um, if you look her up on YouTube, you might find this Hispanic lady like singing Hispanic ballads. That's not her. Where would I find her? Google? Go ahead and look her up on YouTube. Most of what you'll find should be the right Dessa. But if you see like an, an older, overweight Hispanic lady singing Hispanic Making ballads, it's not or her. something, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cooking show. Yeah. But, uh, I went this is Dessa, see... and we're going to make, uh, we're going to hand roll cigars. Like uh, a Tony. I saw the very first stop of her very first show. Um, I'm sorry, not her very first show, her very first tour. The very first show of her very first tour. Um, she's from Minnesota. This was in Buffalo. It was actually at a uh, church that's owned by Ani DeFranco. So and I love Ani DeFranco as well. I so love Ani DeFranco. I don't know shit about her. I've seen her in concert. I fucking love her. I've seen her in concert. She was fucking awesome. She, I, I think she's so cool. I, I haven't, and I'd love to see her in concert. It was, it was. Uh, I saw her in concert. At, this is back when I was traveling festival stuff. It, I think it was at the Mowdown. The band called Mo puts on a festival. Okay. I, Mo's a good band, whatever. Uh, I don't love him. I don't hate him. I've seen him in concert like 50 times for some odd reason. <laughs> um, but like that's all I did during those years is go to concerts. At the Mowdown, Mo's own concert, Ani DeFranco was the best band there by far. Awesome. Like, she was so good. I just want to say that it's funny because when I say about a band, I don't love them. I don't hate them. I'll follow that up with, I'm not going to like ask you to change it if they're playing. You know, I'll listen to it. You're like, nah, you know, I don't love them. I don't hate them. I've only seen them like 50 times. (laughs) You know how I wanted to be a rock star? It was like totally indulgent to watch people on stage and be like, I'm going to be that one day. And in my mind, I took it that seriously. I was like, I'll be on stage. So I'm enjoying my tenure in the audience. I didn't go that route. I do stand up now, but it's still it. And I was on a lot of pods, oh, so I'm, that's I'm why I was always at the show. Envious. <laughs> I wish I had been to as many shows. Yeah, um, I can only afford. I can only afford. You know. <laughs> you got yeah. You got to get more lucrative, uh, illicit practices. Yeah, that'll help me get to fish. <laughs> yeah, or incarcerated. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> I think the odd thing is you. You. I think both of you look like more fish fans than I do. Really? Yeah. I guess that could be a fair assessment. Yeah. I, wow, I got it. Wow, that got very superficial. You know what you look like? All right, here's what you guys look like. Oh Jesus, we're yeah, getting you know razzed. Like I don't know if I, I don't know if my uh, emotional state can handle getting razzed by a comedian that's a professional, <laughs> professional <laughs> doing amateur shit. Well, you, you look like you ate too many Twinkies. You look like a fish fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, discredit my whole career. <laughs> no. So I'm at the show, and this is all on on YouTube. I documented the whole show, um, the whole road trip out there and the show. But uh, uh, she's actually performing my favorite song by her, and I'm recording it. 
and she looks at me like this is in one of the little intermissions between like chorus and verse. So she's standing there and she looks, reaches out, takes the camera from me, pans over the audience. The audience like ah, cheers as she's, you know, in succession as she's going by, hands the camera back to me. And if you listen close, you can hear me go, I fucking love you. And she does this little like smirk and shrug like, yeah, it's whatever. So does everybody. Oh my God, <laughs> right. it was the most amazing thing. It was so cool. Jesus Christ, you you have the footage? Of- oh, yeah, it's on YouTube. Um, You can look up. I've got the whole show, but you can also see it. No, I want to uh, see I want to see that moment. Where that do I moment find it? is, uh, if you want to pin it down, um, my YouTube channel is Shaggy the Shaman. Two Gs, all one word. And it's the video um, Children's Work by Dessa. It'll say something like Children's Work. Live at Babeville or something like but, that. But uh, it was Dessa. Dessa, yes. So you're somewhat of a basement shaman. What does that entail? <laughs> I used to be a little bit more into that. Uh, like I said, spiritual mythology, religion. That's always been my interest. And shaman is my rap name. So when I rap, right. I call myself shaman. And every I rapper... thought you were into like herbal supplements and stuff like oh, that. Oh no, yeah, I used to. Um, Buy my own herbs and make my own tea blends, smoking blends. Do you still um, do you still nourish yourself with whatever herbs? That it's it's like exercising. Like no, I haven't officially stopped. Uh, what I do you recommend? Don't. Because I want to hear from a shaman. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a shaman. Um, I don't. I don't know, and I, I mean, it, it all depends what what you. Okay, I'll what ask you're you a more to... direct question. And Shake a chicken. A more direct and personal question: Like, how often is it okay for me to smoke crack cocaine? <laughs> well, like, I am can... qualified to answer this. I am a doctor. Like, um... if I brush my teeth, can I do it like twice a week? <laughs> Not As a sh- that. I mean, in your shaman experience, how much crack can I do and still maintain healthy? Gum line. <laughs> 42. All right. 40, 42 40, crack. It's just not, yeah, not it's just a number. Yeah, blue. Uh, I trust him. That made perfect sense. Well, he is a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Please don't bill me for that advice. By the way, I'll take it in stride. Do you have insurance? Oh. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to get back to some more fish stuff, too. So we heard the story of Gamehenge. And basically... So Gamehenge is something um, I, I shouldn't admit uh, to fish fans as uh, something I don't know, nor do I, I care about. I know the story to some extent. It was explained. Uh, but the, the issue for me with Gamehenge is uh, it's, uh, when it's played, they never released an album of Gamehenge. There is a bootleg they played it, 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 I may be wrong on stats, I'm not good on fish stats, but they played it one time in full Gamehenge, and all the hippie, like, hardcore burnouts, the, the people at the show have been like, I've been to 380 concerts, those motherfuckers uh, are like, all they want to do is see Gamehenge, and <laughs> they're all on drugs, and every show, you run across a couple of them, and they're like, it's game hinges tonight that's man. the ticket that's why yeah. they haven't played it again yeah and you're like yeah that that's about right because they haven't played it in 16 years i'm sure <laughs> tonight no, it's in, gonna be tonight yeah man. definitely tonight. yeah I a, feel it. a four o'clock concert in wichita i'm sure that's when they whipped <laughs> that's it out the one not new, new year's eve millennium or something <laughs> 
So a random May concert. All these burnouts want to see uh, Gamehenge, and the thing is, uh, I don't care for the story. I don't think the band uh, writes good stories or good lyrics. And uh, I'll defend this at some point. I don't think they're phenomenal vocalists. They can harmonize well. And I've developed uh, like a, a full appreciation for Trey's uh, tone of voice. It's very sincere. And I mean, he hits n- notes, but none of them are, w- 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 could step near Whitney Houston or uh, like real vocalists. Fish aren't known for vocals and their lyrics fucking suck. They do have a couple of good songs, but it, uh, all their uh, the good lyrics are written by uh, I think the guy's name is Tom Marshall. I met him once; he was a fucking dick. And um, <laughs> I got a backstage pass, and I was back there. They had a keg at Yingling, and the guy was like, "Yeah, I'm the fifth member of Fish." And I had only been to like thirty shows at the time, and I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm Dan." And he's like, "You, should, you know me, man." And I was like, "I don't know who the fuck you are." So it's like this fucking overgrown dude. And he was like, I'm the fifth member, man. And we got in this big argument where he was like, I'm, I'm like in the band. And I was like, then why have I never seen you on fucking stage? And I'm backstage at Fish at the time. So I'm surrounded by like people who know Fish. People are like, I went to elementary school with all their friends and shit. And I'm just some burnout who's like, who the fuck are you guys <laughs> to all these people? No, you aren't fish. <laughs> yeah. So he could have, I don't know what the fuck his problem was. He could have just been like, oh, I write the lyrics for fish. And I could be like, oh, so you're illiterate. And he'd be like, no, I write the good lyrics because they do have good lyrics. They do have good lyrics, but they're written by Tom Marshall. Anyway, he was a dick. I met Mike Gordon, the bassist, and he was talking to some gorgeous chick. And I was like, I don't know. I'm the type of person that, like, when I see somebody famous, even if I don't know him, I just bug him. Like, (laughs) which is kind of so obnoxious because if I have any level of success, I'm not going to want that to happen to me. (laughs) And you know it will because karma's a bitch. (laughs) I know. Like, when I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman on on Broadway, I was just like, yeah, yeah, this is great, man. There's a fucking compote and all that shit. (laughs) You know, I got some heroin. Don't die. Um, uh, No, but I went up to fucking... Uh, Mike Gordon and I was like I just want you to know uh, like I love your music and it really means a lot to me like what you're doing I really appreciate it that's basically all I said and he he shook my hand and moved like everybody was kind of hanging out he just moved away from everybody (laughs) so he didn't want to talk to me from everybody or just from you no him and the girl he was talking to moved towards the tour bus Whereas everybody else backstage was still on the deck. Oh, right. I shook his hand and he He's was like, I'm trying to like, get laid right now. Yeah. So. He was clearly like, oh, those are the faggots that worship me and I steal their, <laughs> I steal their money. I'm a millionaire. Every and night. Yeah, I steal their money and like, I, I don't care for the money. I like the blowjobs. Here's my tour bus and... Uh, I got some yeah, cocaine. Use yeah. this crisp $1,000 bill to sniff it. Keep listening. Maybe we'll play Gamehenge next time. Maybe. He could just sit there. He didn't even have to like play it for nine. He could have been like, you know how much I earned tonight? $1.2 million. So when do you want to get this going? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. all you have to say. Do you hear that? Say- Did you hear that little chode back there yeah. doting over me yeah. and my music? 
There are millions of them. Yeah. <laughs> I made seven figures in two hours. That deserves at least a <laughs> fucking blowjob at least. What did you say your name was? Um, so I met him. But uh, the Game Henge thing is like, I've heard all the songs that comprise Game Henge. They're not all my favorite songs. By Fish, Lizards is okay. There's a Colonel Forbin. Uh, I think ACDC Bag is another one. They have some good songs here and there. I've heard them all, but all these Fish fans... Like, the go-to thing when I was seeing Fish in the late 90s, early 2000s was like, oh, uh, Trey's not cool. He, he's in, He's got an ego. And it's like, yeah, of course he has an ego because all of us worship him. <laughs> he's the best part of that band. That's also something you're not supposed to say as a Fish fan. Like, as an avid Fish fan. I don't you're think not- you're supposed to say that as a fan of any band. You should be the band as a whole. Guy, but we really? all do. I don't know. Isn't that kind of disrespectful to the band? Like as a, I don't, I don't, I don't want to consume and incinerate the rest of this interview with why I think it's okay to love Trey and not <laughs> not care about the other members of the band. I love the band as a whole. I think they're all great. But Trey is, uh, I don't know. He sells the band to me. He's just. There uh, are a lot of cases where a certain person is the. And everybody know, the knows it, but nobody's supposed to say it. <laughs> You know, and uh, it, it was even popular to bash Trey, like especially after their uh, farewell concert when they broke up for good and then came back like five, five years, years later, later or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody was bashing Trey. Uh, he had a horrible performance. Uh, they speculate he was on a lot of drugs, which he probably was because he nodded off at a couple points during the show. <laughs> oh, wow. But then it was interspersed with like phenomenal guitar solos. So. I mean, that's... He's feeling something. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that's even better where you can fall asleep and rip into, like, 60 <laughs> notes. Can you imagine, like, too, oh, being at the point in your life where you have thousands of adoring <laughs> fans screaming and cheering for you? And you're just, you're falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's 60,000 people that parked on that... They closed the gates. They parked on the highway 20 miles away, walked 20, uh, 20 miles into the venue, 60,000 people, and he has the courtesy to not even stay awake <laughs> yeah, during the fucking like show. Frazier How can midnight. you not love him? <laughs> Hendrix lit a guitar. I'm sorry. My boy <laughs> fell asleep in front of 60,000 people. I have stage fright at open mics where I'm it's like, like, I don't know. It's like the hippie version of Gigi Allen where Gigi Allen's <laughs> like, I'm going to go on stage and be as punk rock as possible. It's like, I'm yeah. just going to go on stage and be as hippie as possible. I'm literally just going to fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, no, you can see <laughs> it in the video. Cheetos. <laughs> it, that concert was called Coventry. And it's notorious to be like uh, the worst show Fish has ever played and everybody was pissed off about it. Here's the weird thing. Uh, 60,000 people were there. Everybody hated the show. It rained a bunch the day before, so there were like... It wasn't muddy. It was like mud up to your knees. So people were losing shoes in the mud. The venue was destroyed. People waited in traffic for like two days. Had to park on the highway, trudge in. All 60... There were 60,002 people. Me and one other person... 60,000 people hated the concert, and I had the best concert (laughs) of all. It was fucking amazing. And I'll tell you why. 
I'm not going to out this person because they're upstanding. That's an upstanding person. Uh, one of the people I it's love. It's Barack Obama, isn't it? It was Barack Obama. Pre-senatorial uh, days. I did. <laughs> he, uh, we, uh, we actually got lit on PCP and um, we broke down in a Volkswagen bug. And uh, yeah. And I wasn't going to out him, but I figure, fuck it. Go the full mile. <laughs> right. You called it out. You yeah. said it. And then he, he dozed off during the concert and I fucked Michelle. So that's how that transpired. No, uh, the last time you got laid, (laughs) one of the few indelible, most important people in my entire life, somebody who has known me my whole life and will until one of us die. Uh, somebody important to me is, uh, we'll call her Eleanor and no, that's an ex-girlfriend. We'll call her, uh, We'll call her Susie Greenberg. That's the name of a fish song. Susie Greenberg. So I brought Susie, this person who meant the world to me. What happened was Coventry was happening. I had just gotten back from Nantucket. It's an island off the coast of Cape Cod. I had a bunch of money uh, because I was living off of love. Reference that from earlier. Uh, on Nantucket and the price of love is astronomical on Nantucket and I had a lot to get rid of anyway I had a bunch of money I went to Boston I was in Boston and uh, Susie and all her friends they're like stockbrokers and millionaires and uh, like entrepreneurs and like these upstanding people and I'm just a burnout who likes fish we went bowling, of all things. I was like, oh, great. Uh, this uh, The day of their last concert, they, uh, Coventry was Saturday and Sunday. Saturday night, I'm in Boston, sitting there bowling. And they're all making fun of me. Oh, you stupid burnout, missing your fish concert, whatever. Anyway, I get Susie drunk. And I was, I was like, Susie, we need to go to the show. And she's like, no, we're not going. It's in Vermont. And anyway, I got her drunk enough to where she was like, all right, we'll go. And I was like, all right, but do you need it? She was like, we're leaving now or I'm going to change my mind. I was like, get in. I was hammered. I was like, I'll drive. We drove up. And here's why it was so good. We missed the second delay. It was a two-day festival. The first day, everybody waited in traffic, abandoned their cars, walked 20 miles into the venue, camped in mud like two feet deep. Uh, The show sucked because they were all emotional and they were on, Trey was on drugs and fucking up. We went the next day because we didn't intend to go. I not only had no ticket to the concert, we show up. Uh, we left that night at like one in the morning, just as Susie was hammered enough to get in the car. Yeah. We got like five feet from the house. She's like, I don't want to go. And I was like too late and just kept driving. And she, she was in the passengers, nodding in and out and kind of fell asleep a little bit. Drove the whole way to the concert, no traffic, drove all the way in past all the camping sites to a house that was like parking and, uh, we paid $15 for parking. Not only did we not have to camp, we weren't in any mud and we had access to the house. The people who owned the house were like, yeah, we're farmers. Come in, take a shit. I was like, great. I was like, can I have like some food? They were like, yeah, we made food. We, and we're there. Uh, you no paid more. us $15. You can have whatever you would like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> $15, yeah! That'll get me a new fix in my four-wheeler. And uh, we got there, no traffic, no tickets, walked into the concert. 
And uh, this was the last cancer I ever thought I was going to see. Susie was coming to, she sobered up on the ride because from Boston to Coventry was like a six, eight hour drive or something. We, uh, she sobered up. She was miserable. Didn't want to be there. Whatever. By the way, this girl is well established, doesn't take drugs. She's it's, uh, not into this culture at all. She's like n- never been debauched in her life. We get there and I talk her into taking uh, a bunch of acid and I take a bunch of acid. Then we're walking around. It's kicking in. It's kicking in for me. It hasn't kicked in for she took it after me. They did three sets that night. The first set. She was like, are you having a good time? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry I dragged you to this, but I needed to be here. Thank you for coming. Somebody came by with ecstasy. And I was like, yeah, I'll take whatever you have. He's like, I got a bunch. And I was like, I'll take them. I bought the ecstasy. I took it. And it started kicking in in like 20 minutes. And I was like, Susie, you need to take this. She was like, I've never taken acid. I want to see what it feels like. I was like, just trust me, take this. Susie took a bunch of the ecstasy and halfway through the second set, she got into it. And Fish has these weird rituals the crowd knows. Like they do certain things and the crowd responds. They say this, the crowd yells, Wilson, they do this. Everybody starts throwing glow sticks. Susie's starting to hallucinate and the ecstasy's kicking in. And she doesn't know this. She doesn't, like, I didn't know that, so she doesn't know that Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of weird shit that goes on at these concerts. Everybody's involved with. So right. she's sitting there spun out, and I'm like, hey, guess what? And, and then there, everybody is like, Wilson! And she's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? She's out of her mind. And by the end of the concert, there's this huge glow stick war. She's hallucinating. There's trails all across the sky. Like, people are crying because it's the last time they're going to see fish. It was like this big emotional thing. 60,000 people had a horrible night at the concert. Me and Susie, we laughed. We were like, that was fucking epic. That was the best thing I've ever seen. Second best night. Well, second best one of my... Night's life. Just figure out how that sentence should sound. <laughs> but uh, totally converted her. And she doesn't take drugs to do them now. But we have since gone to a couple of fish shows. Nice. Yeah. I understand why people don't like him. And I totally understand. And I can spl- explain why. But uh, that's why I like them. They're phenomenal musicians. They put the dead to shame. Like, the dead play, like, 4-4, four, four, jammy, like, and they s- sound like they smoke a lot. They're like... It's a, no time signature changes, nothing electric about it. And I've seen Phil Lesh from the dead live. I've seen, you know, I've seen them. I've seen Bob Dylan, all that shit. Fish is a different experience. And yes, I totally encourage taking drugs. Even if Trey's <laughs> sober now, don't listen to Trey. Just listen to, <laughs> just listen to his music and take acid. Don't listen to his voice. Just listen to his fingers on those, on those yeah. strings. Yeah. Well, you said it was like a whole different experience. Like I've heard that they've done this thing where they're jumping on trampolines and rotating their instruments yeah they have all like these... they all know how to play each other's instruments yeah they uh they'll get on stage playing somebody else's instrument that's insane and start out a concert that way i i actually uh showed this to my friend they were all playing different instruments and they were like yeah i kind of i thought that was a pretty good song i mean i could get into them 
And then I was like, yeah, they were all playing the wrong instrument. Then they got on their actual <laughs> instruments and fucking just got ridiculous. Yeah, they do the most absurd things. They jump on trampolines and do spin 360s while playing during the show. That's crazy. I, I've seen them on New Year's. <laughs> I've seen them on New Year's Eve in Madison Square Garden in the Everglades for the Millennium Show. They played an eight-hour set from right before midnight till sunrise. Yeah, it's it's, it's an insane ins- experience. Wow. And they go on stage with no set list. In fact, one night they went on stage last year and they played some song that started with S. I think it was Sample in a Jar. Then they played another song that started with S. And then they were like, hey, both of the... The the rest of the show, they just played songs that start with S. And, put, <laughs> and they put on a phenomenal concert. And it's different every night. So It's nuts. The reason people don't like fish is because you don't hear it for what it is. And it can sound like garbage. But if you listen to it uh, for long enough... <laughs> you'll eventually get around no, you know what? no if you listen to it for long enough you hear where the patterns are that you didn't initially hear totally legitimate what uh, one thing i try to tell people when people say x type of music all sounds the same whether they're talking like jazz about or something oh, yeah jazz. jazz dubstep uh anything like reggae if you don't listen to a specific type of music yeah, regularly there's roots rock it, there's dub there's yeah, but it all does kind of sound the same when it's not something you've listened to a, a lot of and often. And then when you do, you do pick up on the, the differences and like, oh, but this time signature is different and this whole song construction and this is like played differently and like I think everything. it's that way. It's easy to trivialize a lot of things and there's easy targets. But I, I mean, in, uh, in a larger philosophical sense, if we're allowed to get deep, I think if you dig far enough into any artistic pursuit, you'll find Baroque, enlightening, enriching, complex complexities that can easily be overlooked by the dilettante or the, the novice or the person who hears it once and dismisses it. You know what I mean? Like Miles Davis, for example... There's a lot of Miles Davis that I love, but there's a lot of Miles Davis where I'm like, eh, I didn't really care for sketches of Spin. That's just me. Yeah. I think what Fish has to offer is that, for one, in the rock arena, and I, I know there's so many cases where you can argue against this, but generally speaking, rock is in 4-4 or 6-8 almost all the time. You go to whole concerts. I've seen everybody in concert. From Chili Peppers to what's Dave Grohl's band? Uh, Foo uh, Fighters. Foo Fighters to I don't know. I've yeah, seen, it gets I've, boring. Yeah, it's four, four, or six, eight. Fish constantly plays in different time signatures. They uh, replicate lines. They they have the capacity to uh, make things sound unbelievably dissonant and then suddenly resolve uh, on a dime to like complete harmony back to dissonance they uh they've played so uh so well and so much with each other that they are able to uh express themselves like emote things through their playing like you can when trey plays his solo you can you can hear different emotions coming through it and it's not me overselling something like when you look at a picasso and he's like what he was trying to say is that 
a blue rapper. You don't know what he was trying to say. Like, I'm saying that <laughs> fucking Trey plays emotionally. You can tell how he's feeling through his playing. And I just don't find that. I mean, I've seen the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra with Wynton Marsalis, and they're phenomenal musicians, but uh, I still think Fish puts on a better show, man. And Lincoln Center's fucking Lincoln Center. They're great. I would never bash them. It's just, it's a different thing. What more is there to say? Yeah. <laughs> so, to everybody who's just never given Fish a chance, give Fish a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> could do that. Um, fish is a band and that fish plays food. Music. music is a thing that goes in your ears. I don't know. I mean, uh, I can't. I, I couldn't explain any other reason to like them than to uh, go see their concert. If you haven't seen them in concert, and I thoroughly recommend taking drugs when you do it. And I've taken drugs at a lot of concerts. There, There's no better place to be high. I've seen Busta Rhymes high. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> you can rap fast. That's fucking great. <laughs> their shit's different. Go to a fish concert, take hallucinogenics, and you'll have a transcendent experience maybe enough to warrant you getting a 4-0 in college that's how inspirational it was to me well then everybody at fish concerts could get a 4-0 if they went to college no i'd say a vast majority of you are going to fall into <laughs> complete deprivation and drug abuse <laughs> and wind up ODing in a porta potty because the door locks and they don't <laughs> check it and you use a heroin needle, and then they're like, oh, somebody's in there, but uh, you're decaying. But it hides <laughs> the stink because it's around a bunch of porta bodies. Right, right. Which is a true story uh, from a poor young girl at a fish concert. So that oh, happens oh there, God. too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the other way it could go if you just do a bunch of hallucinogenics at a fish concert. Yeah, I would say do it, but uh, at your own risk. Thank you so much. You're welcome back whenever the fuck you want to come back. We would be glad to have you back on again. Man. I would like to do it again sometime. Also, before you leave, Dan McCourt, would you like to plug anything? Anything that you're doing or obviously... No, no, not that. <laughs> Let him finish. I'm selling eighths of weed outside of Grabby's Market. And uh, I got I got eighths for 40 The worst sack. part is I know exactly where that is. <laughs> I know. I'll be on the corner... Uh, my name's Dan, but just call me Clive. Say you want a, uh, you know, a dub or some. All right, I will plug. Uh, my website is, um, if you want to check out anything, it's danmccourt.com, D-I-N-M-C-C-O-R-T.com. And uh, if anybody re- want to respond, uh, wants to respond to this, uh, I have come up with two titles for my next special, and I want feedback. So if anybody likes one better than the other, uh, Dan McCourt is my name, and uh, Frank McCourt is an author. His last name is, uh, he wrote Angela's Ashes, uh, won a Pulitzer Prize for it. His name is McCourt, M-C-C-O-U-R-T, court as in like basketball court. Mine is M-C-C-O-R-T, and people always mistake it. So my next special is either going to be called Dan McCourt, There's No You, or um, uh, Humor Trafficking. It's close enough to Humor Trafficking. Humor Trafficking, because I'm on the road doing comedy. Oh, okay, and if you want uh, a secret that I'm going to unleash probably once and never again, is that um, the alternative 
titles for all the specials that I film that I'm going to continue to film. All the runner-ups are in the trailer before the film. So in the tra- like in the uh, opening shots right, for right. Audible Toxicology, there's the runner-up names. You can find them posted around the walls and stuff. Oh, there cool. you go. Yeah. So let me know. Uh, uh, humor trafficking or Dan McCourt? There's no you. Yeah. Uh, let them know. Go to danmccourt.com. You're on Facebook too, right, Dan McCourt? Uh, yeah. Slash uh, comedian Dan McCourt. And you've got a YouTube. Uh, I have a YouTube account. Um, All you have to do is go on to YouTube and type Dan McCourt. There are actually segments if you want to see from Audible Toxicology. I have a promo clip where I talk about running into Philip Seymour Hoffman in New York City, which is rather degrading. And then uh, (laughs) um, I have some other clips, just random stuff. Check it out on YouTube. Dan McCor, M-C-C-O-R-T. Fucking will do, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, thanks I, for coming yeah. out, dude. Yeah, the, the, I really appreciate it. Privilege is all ours. Until next time, man. I'm Nathan Kapiser. I'm Craig. What the fuck is a vacuum solo, Lewis? <laughs> Check it out. I'm Dan McCourt. Thanks again for having me. I had a great time. Uh, thank you, man. And thank you guys for listening. Have a great week. And it's not because I'm a heartless person. It's just, uh, I, I guess, with regard to my stand-up, as you know, I don't have feelings. I'm dead <laughs> inside. So, uh, yeah, uh, don't express sympathy when other people die, and don't support the troops, I guess would be, would be my the main... two main draws <laughs> yeah. come away from Dan McCourt. <laughs> yeah.